4: When you were just talking to me Do you think that you could repeat the question? All right. Can I more
3: you guys good to go? Good to go. Alrighty. We're ready. Excellent. Phones are off. Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, it's up Two guys' smoke shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, the... Uh, and I, and I don't have them in front of me, so I'll do like a couple now and then I'll pull them up when, we, when we're talking. We'll do another one. Uh, we have a uh, Maku towing, Jason Maku, who brings uh, a hot chocolate to the TMF family dinner for the homeless in Lawrence for us every Wednesday night. We appreciate him. Uh, Century 21 McLennan and Company, Janet McLennan. We love her. We love, uh, we love Matt and, and the whole family. They do a lot of things for the community and they're always saying, uh, you know, when they do stuff for the community, I'll shoot over like an instant message to Matt or somebody and say, hey, can you give me some details I want to write about what you guys just did? And they're like, no, we don't want any credit for that. So we always like to give people credit who don't want credit because too many people do things for the credit. And we always want to make sure we give credit to the people that aren't doing it for that reason. Um, who else do we have? We have the Superior Officers Union, Methuen Police Superior Officers Union. We appreciate uh, their, their undying support. And um, we'll get to the others uh, shortly uh, after we... After we do our first round of Right Ed?
2: That is absolutely correct. All
3: right. And I'll be able to I'll be able to see it up on the screen anyway, right? You've got those things. Oh, and climate design systems. We can't forget Nina. She no. never answers her phone, but we still love her. <laughs> <laughs> we still love her climate design systems. If you have a heating uh, HVAC issue, uh, you know it's getting really cold. So if you have a problem with your heater, you might want to give uh, climate design systems a call. And uh, they always answer the phone in the office. She just doesn't answer her cell phone anymore. Um, so my name is Tom Duggan. This is our, by the way, our two, our three year anniversary. Two or two year anniversary. Yeah, it's not three. It's, it's, so it's our two-year anniversary today. Correct. And on our very first podcast, we've been—I've been doing the paying attention radio program for thirty-something years. We moved it over to podcast a couple of years ago, and um, this was our first, uh, our first show. And we asked the police chiefs of four different communities to come on and talk about the opioid crisis. And it was such a success. And by the way, it's, we still get like a hundred to one hundred and fifty hits a week on that uh, on that podcast because it's still up. Uh, so I know people are still interested in the topic. So I thought, what better way to celebrate our two-year anniversary here at the Paying Attention Podcast, higher top two-guys smoke shop at Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, um, than to have the police chiefs come back and talk about where we were two years ago when we were sitting here and where we were maybe five years ago and then where we see the trends going in each of the different communities. Who we have with us today, I'm going to go from the far, your far right, my far left. We have uh, North Andover Police Chief Chuck Gray, who's also a... Um, A uh, Valley Patriot Bash Officer Tom Duggan Hero Award winner Uh, We have Chief Jim Ryder Who I think is in the running for that Maybe next year I think Uh, Should be Uh, From Boxford We have Chief Alan DeNaro Who encrypted his police scanner And we're still fighting about that In between every break Uh, He's the chief from Haverhill And we have my good friend, and I say that because I know it pisses off a lot of people, but my good friend, not just a guy that I know from the business, but he's a guy I've known for a long time and I trust, and that's Methuen Police Chief Joe Solomon, uh, who is here with us today. So, gentlemen, um, since we were here a couple of years ago, um, why don't we just go go like one at a time, introduce yourself, and tell people a little bit about your community, how many people you have in your community, um, and, and talk about where the opioid crisis is, in your community now Compared to where we were two years ago When we were sitting here I want to start with that ch- uh, Chief Chuck Gray Who I'm going to be seeing tonight at the e- Menorah Lighting For those correct. of us who want to join us correct. Um, I see us, two years ago I talked
5: about the um, Well North Denver first of all demographically With 30,000 people, um, 26 square miles Running from the, the, bar, uh, the Lawrence Porter to Boxford Haverhill and uh, Andover and Where we saw ourselves was we had the crime secondary to the the opiate crisis, meaning we had a lot of the the shopliftings, car breaks, house breaks, and stuff like that that people were using to acquire funds to then go to the city and make their purchases. Um, Also, the traveling back and forth, the OUIs, we've seen an increase in those as opposed to OUI liquor, we're, mm-hmm. we're actually seeing more OUI drugs. Um, and again, a lot of times the, the crime secondary with, you know, with the increase in, in larcenies and shopliftings, and, and people say, oh, it's shoplifting when they go into coals, but I'm sorry, if you go into coals with no money in your pocket and, and take $1,000 worth of merchandise, you're not right. shoplifting, it's larceny. Right. They're decriminalizing that in California, right. what, what do you think <laughs> of that? I mean, is that not insane? It, it is. I mean, it, obviously, you know, it's, the business is going to pass the buck on to the people that are buying the, the stuff for real, so. Right.
3: So as far as where we were, uh, opioid deaths and opioid-related um, um, arrests in North Andover, is that going down? Is it going up? So the trend,
5: in, and I've talked to some of the other chiefs, so I know we're on the same page. Um, the trends <laughs> is we're getting less reported overdoses, but we know they're going up. Just from pe- speaking to people uh, on, on the street, just listening to families, a lot of times because they're getting Narcan uh, from community outreach, mm-hmm. and they're getting their own Narcan from Walgreens and stuff like that. They're not calling us anymore. So we're,
3: we're seeing a reduction in the number of reported overdoses, but we know it's gone up. So I'm looking at the uh, at the graph that you sent us, um, and uh, the first one is month to month. It looks like January, July, and September seem to be really big mm-hmm. uh, response months for you guys as far as responding to opioid calls. And I actually noticed in, in our movie um, you had a couple of your guys um, – Took the movie producers to Really, really nice neighborhoods And showing um, You know, people think that that uh, People who are addicted are out in the woods They're all homeless, a lot of them aren't A lot of them are very affluent right. And they're overdosing in their basements Like on Bear Hill Road, I think was one of the places I saw in the movie
5: Correct, yep, and that's that's absolutely the fact And it doesn't, this disease doesn't um, You know, pick on people That are, are homeless or whatnot It it gets everybody, and it doesn't matter
3: When When you guys have to deal with somebody who's either overdosed or they're addicted and they've committed a crime. What is the procedure? What do you guys do with them? Can you section them right away? Can you put them away? Can you send them to a detox or do they have to want to go? We can
5: send them by the new uh, protective custody laws that were changed. We can send them to the hospital, but once they get to the hospital, they can sign themselves out and most of the time do. And then from there, it's back to square one. The only
3: time they're getting help is if they want it. Right. Right. Um, ch- chief, uh, writer, you're the chief at Boxford. I imagine, you know, I, 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 heard that you guys had, um, there was a cow stuck in a road one day. And it was like a big, <laughs> Those was beer drinking cows. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like, it was a nine cruiser response team. We don't was, have that, nine. That's, cruises, a, crime, Tom. That, that's have, a crime spree. No, you don't three, even have three, nine. Three <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. But in, in a, in an affluent community like Boxford, a beautiful community, especially in the wintertime driving through Boxford is just so beautiful. Um, I would imagine it also touches you guys. I mean, you're not Lawrence, right? And you're not Haverhill, but I would imagine that it that it does touch a small community like Box because there's so much money, right? right. And it drugs abs- are expensive.
6: It absolutely does, and I could speak for some of the Masconomic community because Masco's in Boxford, which serves the towns of Topsfield and Middleton. Mm-hmm. You know, I spoke with their guys, and we're seeing a dramatic drop in the number of new addicts, but still the age group between 25 and 35 that got addicted in the early part of the epidemic. Those people are still out there. We did have a fatal this spring of a young lady that passed away who was in recovery for a period of time. But unfortunately, she used again, and she didn't make it. So it's out there, but what we're dealing with... What was
3: the age range?
6: I believe she's about 23, 24.
3: Yeah, young kid, right? Yep, exactly. So Got
6: addicted to college, came back, was fighting the addiction for a period of time, and then passed away.
3: Now, are you seeing what North Andover is seeing where... The use is actually going up, but the reported incidents are actually going down?
6: We're not getting that many calls for services. We're not using as much Narcan as we used to. We're not getting the calls. So it's...
3: Is that because uh, people can carry their own Narcan now? Probably they don't need are, you guys? To? And
6: the people that are addicted, they have a better understanding of their addiction. So they're not calling the police. They're not calling for our services. So overall, just between the two guys that, that, we, that have spoken so far, would you
3: guys say that, that the opioid crisis is starting to wane? Or, are you, or, or is this still spiking? It's still, still out of control. Right? I, I would say so. Yeah.
6: What I'm seeing, it's more in the communities. We've caught up with, I think, with the education. The schools are starting young. The different groups are getting out there. And with the background these kids have and fairly solid family dynamics, I think a lot of them are getting the message so what I think is helping in our community, absolutely, and I'd say for Topsville and Middleton, the same thing.
3: As, as a side topic, because I'm always interested in the in this prevention stuff. I, I, I my personal opinion is I don't think it ever works. Mm-hmm. Bull- Anti bullying prevention, all this stuff to me, it just seems like a waste of money. Are you seeing any kind of bang for your buck in the schools? Like I'm sure you were making arrests in the schools. You've got mask. You've got uh, you've got a vocational school. Is it Maskinomit?
6: What is is The high school,
3: the okay. vocational
6: schools over in Danvers. Okay, but. It's You still have the trainings, and six, seven, eight, ten parents show up sometimes. More or less, you're out there, but I believe it is getting out there through different groups. It is, but, you know, it's obviously when you have those meetings and you get the parents of the kids that probably never have an issue that show up, it's sometimes disheartening for the people to put those events on, but they're getting it out there, and I think the message is grabbing hold a little bit, at least with the kids in the tri-town community. Now. We never really saw it inside the high school. What we were always seeing is kids would go away to college and then get hooked and then come back. And we would see them when they made it back to their parents' house and were battling the addiction. I see.
3: So they go off to college, probably experimenting with a lot of stuff, get addicted to something, come home. And then you guys have to deal with it. You got it. it. Now, um, Chief DeNaro from Haverhill, very different type of community. It's much more of a community like Lawrence. It's much bigger. You have a lot more crime. It's a big city, um, although people don't usually think of it as a big city. You look at the area, it's something like eight times the size of Lawrence. Uh, and you guys are dealing with uh, the gang issues and the distribution issues much more, I think, than North Andover and and uh, and Boxford. How is the opioid crisis impacting your community now as opposed to two years ago when we were here talking?
1: Well, it's still, it's still a significant problem that we're facing. Uh, as far as deaths, deaths are down, and that's because... Um, as you've heard before from this panel, Narcan is out. It's readily available um, and it's used quite frequently. Also, a lot of the addicts are now using places like uh, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, Taco Bell, those type of places to shoot up in bathrooms because they know that if they overdose and they're by themselves, they're going to be found quickly which means that we have a quicker response. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will tell you that... We so
3: they're strategically doing that, like, in a public place, so if you guys, if they OD, you guys can find them?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Wow. There are some that act- will actually go in a hospital, into the bathroom in a hospital, and tie their arm around the help cord. So if they pass out, the cord will go off that they need help, and someone will go in. I mean, it's wow. it- it's a serious problem. We've, um, we've doubled our um, Narcan that goes to officers because we're finding that one... Two doses in a pack isn't enough. Sometimes we're doing three and four um, because people are becoming resistant to it. So we're having to carry more Narcan in the cars. We have less overdoses on stats, but that's because people are now self-medicating for it. So we're not getting the calls. But it's still a significant problem. Uh, We are still making multiple arrests um, in Haverhill involving people from New Hampshire, Maine, and Lawrence. Lawrence being the delivery side. uh, People from New Hampshire and Maine are coming to the five exits off of 495 to conduct their business because they feel it's safer in Haverhill to do that. They're not going all the way to Lawrence. Mm -hmm. But the connections are coming through Lawrence.
3: So now with what's going on in Lawrence as far as them encrypting their scanner, putting cameras everywhere – it seems like they've driven a lot of the gang activity out of Lawrence and into Methuen and Haverhill. Um, have you seen, since since Lawrence started doing that, and we, of course you, we all know if we ask anybody from Lawrence, there's no crime in Lawrence at all, um, but we, we have seen a significant decrease in the crime because of the cameras, because of some of the other things, and it seems like it hasn't solved anything, it just moved them to your community.
1: Well, I don't know that it's, it has to do with the cameras or the encryption. It's It's more or less... Lawrence is six or seven square miles, and they have about 150 police officers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would need 450 police officers if you wanted to do it by square mileage. So when you have that many officers in in an area of six or seven square miles, um, you can be uh, much more responsive to addressing those problems, and that in itself pushes it out of the community. and um, yeah, when the state police come in, and they come in in wolf packs, and they, and they address issues, and you have, uh, you know, uh, sheriff's office and other local and state partners, it will drive things to where it's less, there's less heat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, things do move out, but then they go back to Lawrence. I don't want you to think that there's an issue in Lawrence. It's They're doing a great job there, and then they all leave Lawrence, and then they stay in Haverhill or Methuen or Amesbury. So it's very
3: Transitional. Transition. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Same thing with the gangs. We see the same thing with, with the gang issues that you know they'll they come in and out of probably a half a dozen communities as as they need to, and they go back and forth. Is there a way that you guys that can have some
3: kind of a regional approach to this? If they if uh, you know if the gangs are moving from Lawrence when Lawrence gets hot, and they move to Haverhill Methuen, and then when Haverhill Methuen get hot, they move back to Lawrence or some other. We community, do. We all we all know? meet
1: on a regular basis. Our do. detectives talk daily. Matter of fact, the chiefs from, from three or four communities We got together with our mayors last week And had a meeting in Haverhill on on gang-related violence and issues And mm-hmm. um, we all talked about best practices And things that we're doing in our communities And things that we're doing together So we do those things We don't necessarily publicize them right. As much as do them
3: Yeah, Chief uh, Solomon um, Very, very tough community to be a police chief And be police officer in I was at the shooting the other night on Broadway and Center Street. Um, it seems like a lot of the crime before it gets to Haverway as it moves out of Lawrence goes through goes through Methuen first, and it's going to be very frustrating. I watched Linda Soucy at the City Council meeting a couple of weeks ago talking about possibly getting some cameras in the Arlington neighborhood, looking for any kind of strategies the people good people who live in those neighborhoods can find to try and stop the the flow of drugs, which then brings the flow of violence. How, has, how have you seen the trends since you were here two years ago and, and today?
4: I think the trends are totally different on the crime situation as the drug situation. So for us, we've had about a 50% decrease in the amount of calls for services for opioids. We believe a lot of that is the availability of Narcan. We also believe the excellent work we'll be talking about later. From the whole Merrimack Valley, everybody's community engagement work is getting together and addressing education, treatment, um, the distribution of Narcan. So we're, what we're seeing on the opioid side, at least from us, part of it is the great work everyone's doing uh, to get education treatment and um, long-term treatment. The other part is the, the calls are reduced because of the number of Narcan. So what's interesting is every community, although we're together, is so different.
3: Would, that's why I love having all you guys up here Because five, four different perspectives mm-hmm. On the same issue
4: So we're down about 43% in calls for service 43% use of knock 50% increase in debts Wow And that's a couple of those 50% Increase in debts? Increase in debts wow. So although it's 8 to 11 right. Which is like a 48% increase It's what what I've looked at The numbers were, were people who hadn't called They went to bed, used, and we found them Deceased So Having the availability to knock in and somebody with you, as Chief DeNaro said, doing those things, we find them in public restrooms also. Yeah. Um, the hospital thing's kind of unique because it gets them their service right away. So we also see for us in 2017, we had 275 support calls from our community engagement specialists, our clinicians. This year, as of December 3rd, 429. So it's like a 55% increase in their outreach and community engagement.
3: And yet deaths went up.
4: And and our deaths went up. But a lot of that is people coming to us for help. We've already placed 158 people this year into treatment. I think, though, the deaths are the anomaly that somebody used and went home by themselves to bed, used, and just died in their sleep, which is what at least two of those three deaths were. As to the crime issues, and we hear what we're saying, everyone's impacted differently. So what we found is those cameras made a significant difference to us because the border crime in the Arlington neighborhood, they're literally coming one street over because if you if you look at the stabbing you were at, right. then you look at the shooting, put us a couple blocks away. Yeah, like four blocks. But here's the difference, camera versus no camera. Right. So luckily today, I can tell you, we do have video of our shooting. Oh, you do? And I was just apprised on be the way in here. A, I'll be
3: putting in a public request for a that, copy of that.
4: Um, we have investigatory video okay. that was provided by somebody, oh. and I believe we've identified the shooter. But if we were at Lawrence, we would have been able to pull up our own video. So as you saw, two months ago, we went to city council. We have $272,000 in, in a fund that they've now designated to use for public safety. But I can only get $10,000 at a time to use oh. for cameras. So hopefully, as the new administration comes That's in, all political. we're going to start to deploy cameras in that area. Right. But here's our problem. We deploy cameras in the Arlington neighborhood It just area. moves up five It's blocks. just going to move up further. So there has to be more... More solutions But interesting as, as Chief De Niro said And with all the departments We've had multiple gang task force Drug meetings So we all have different officers in our team They're all working together with state probation Parole, um, federal probation parole uh, The court systems uh, The intake workers Everybody's working together in order to attack This as one large you know, problem, rather than, you can't have a Lawrence Problem, a Havel problem, a and Boxford We're all, their problems are ours Although they impact us differently It's the same plays and the same problem, but it's Funny how we could be, I'm in between Lawrence and Havel, and I'm impacted totally Different in a community mm-hmm. by the crime As they are, so, and also We're down offices, we're a smaller force, so we only have 94 We're down several offices, we have Havel That's been hiring the last few years Lawrence is, that's been hiring, so as it continues, if Methuen doesn't come to the call and start adding offices, there's going to be a long-term impact
3: to that. Have you seen a correlation between um, the increase in opioids uh, use and abuse over the last few years and the increase in homelessness? I mean, I know once somebody becomes homeless in Methuen, they they go to Lawrence, right? So they're, Correct. Not, they're not walking your streets usually. But they're still withdrawing residents, and there's got to be a stat on that. I'm sure. I'm sure you guys track that somehow, right?
4: And that's that's been very difficult. We've been trying to, particularly with Karina and with Lawrence officials. So once a year, we go out and do our counts for the homeless, but they do the count every November. So we keep telling them, the Fed's got to do the count in the spring, because if you do my count in November, there's nobody along the rail trail, because they've all gone to shelters in Lawrence. That's too cold. The count has to be in April or May, so I can get a true count of, of my numbers. But we patrol the rail trail. Our officers go out there and forth. They're out there constantly, and particularly in the good weathers, we interact with people. And again, if we have to get them help... We've got to go to Lawrence in order to get them a shelter. And that's not fair to Lawrence either, that all the homeless from all this area goes to one community. Each community needs to share in and have their own resources. I know I've heard you talk about it, but nobody wants to take that step to have their own.
3: Well, I think your new mayor Mm -hmm. coming Mm -hmm. in, Neil Perry, has expressed a serious interest in addressing that problem. Uh, We see if somebody's in North Andover and they're living in a... Three quarters of a million dollar home and then all of a sudden they lose their house or their wife throws them out and they become homeless There's no services in North Andover or Methuen or or Boxford for those people So where do they go? They go where they think the services are, which is Lawrence, but Lawrence is so inundated There's really no services. I mean, there's no beds at, at, at daybreak I mean no. you call mm-hmm. or any day. They have 55 beds and they're full every single day um, The uh, Lazarus house only takes families. So if you have no kids, you, you, you're not getting in if you're a single person You're not getting in and the others, uh, Good Shepherd and stuff, only really open when it's like below below freezing, and it's only like for like a one or two night thing until it's no longer freezing, and then they throw everybody out. Um, the 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 issue, uh, Chief Gray, with homelessness and um, you know the the spinoff of the opioid crisis. Are you seeing an increase? I mean, I know you've got some some serious issues in certain areas and small pockets, especially over by the the railroad tracks by Merrimack Street. And there's a couple of others. Uh, what are you seeing? Um,
5: I mean, we had a camp down there <laughs> two years ago. It was actually like it was a, like a little village of homeless people. And all we, all we did was go down there interact with them. We made a couple of arrests, you know, when people were using and stuff. And we basically told them, you know, how, how can we help you? But like the chief said, you know, a lot of times they go to Lawrence, not just for the, the services, but I also think because it, it puts them closer to the source, so because they're struggling with that addiction, you know, if they're in North Andover, it's going to take them 40 minutes to an hour to walk mm-hmm. to the city to try to get some product to use it. If they're there already, you know, sitting uh, you know, on the, underneath uh, the railroad bridge on Lowell Street, they're right there, you know. So I think it's a matter of convenience, too.
3: Now, this is, this is yours. This is the one you sent me, right? Yep. Just want to make sure I don't, I'm not reading the wrong one. So I've got overdoses, 233 in uh, from between 2015 and sixteen. 247. No, that's mine. I'm is that sorry. This okay. is Alan's. Yeah. Okay. I thought I had yours. All right. No, I'll, 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 I'll come back to yours. Right. Um, uh, Chief Writer. Small community, right? Really, really quiet. You probably feel like, like, why am I even here, right? No, I enjoy your time. Oh, you do? All right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but there must be some spinoff crimes that come from the fact that people are using opioids in your community, whether it's stealing cars, breaking into places to steal something to sell to get drugs.
6: We're not seeing it. You're not seeing we it. We had our first house break in two years, about a month ago. and So if you're going to
3: move somewhere, that, I guess Botchford's the place one to the go. the safest
6: place in the Commonwealth right, right there. And, but there's nowhere close. There's no, there's no shopping centers. There's nowhere else for them to get food, restaurants, or whatever else. They're very small. There's mm-hmm. not much you know, for anyone that doesn't live in a house in the community. There's not much there. There's nothing to attract them. You know, if they move into the woods, you'd never see them, and there's no one else with them. Right. So they're moving into other communities, but we see, you know, kids that grow up in Boxford. if they start having issues, they're there for a short period of time, and then they move on. Same with families. If the economy turns south or there's a loss of a job or something like that, they don't stay that long. They move on. So people come and go as far as fairly quickly out of the community if they do have a um, downturn in their luck.
3: What happens if uh, I'm a Boxford resident, I've been living there my whole life, been paying taxes, suddenly my wife throws me out or I lose my job or the bank takes my house and I suddenly become homeless? Are there any services in Boxford for Boxford residents who suddenly
6: become homeless? No. There aren't? No. We have a good council on aging for the older folks in town, but very limited for anyone else.
3: Is there any effort at all by the Board of Selectmen, by the town manager, any of the town fathers? To try and address that problem, or is it just not a problem? It's just not a
6: problem. We just haven't had it. Well, people sometimes they'll stay in their house for a period of time while it's foreclosed on, but eventually, even the banks seem to make some type of agreement where they almost buy them out of their house. Wow! It's we'll let you know. Okay, we'll give you this if you leave, and they pack up and move on. There's several houses in town that've been foreclosed on. People do stay there for a while, but then they move out, and these obviously houses are you know six, seven, eight hundred thousand plus that they're looking at. So if someone's trying to get those people to move on there's some funding. Are
3: all of your guys trained to use Narcan? Because even though it's not much of a problem in your community. Yep, we have it. And every every, cruiser Cruiser has them. But you've you've not had a chance to use them
6: though. We've used Narcan a number of times. It's quieted down, but we've probably used, we're using probably about 10 doses a year for the previous three or four years. Okay. And then it's just So you
3: you are having an issue with the opioids. It's just that it's not as many.
6: It's just not as many, but now we're only seeing the legacy people. We saw it, if you look at the high school age kids, we saw the classes from about 2011 to 2016 get really banged up right after high school. Mm-hmm. Then after the class of 2016, it's really quieted down. You're not getting the calls from the parents for services, hearing about kids that came back from school, having a really lot of issues, coming back from college, moving back home. We're just not seeing it.
3: Right. Um, Chief DeMiro, and I, I, I have these here. Thank you for putting Everybody sent me one. We'll, we'll pull them up on the screen at some point during the show. Um, well, We're looking at uh, overdose deaths is actually, uh, uh, according according to the, the graphs that you sent us, uh, 32 overdose deaths uh, between 2015 and 16, uh, only 16 overdose deaths uh, for opioids between 2016 and 17. Then it spiked up a little bit between 2017 and 18 to 17. Um, it's down to 12 for 2018 and 19. Is this a trend? Or is this more because of what you guys were talking about earlier as far as fewer people reporting it, more Narcan, fewer people needing to actually reach out for services which actually would create these these numbers?
1: No, I mean, deaths are reported.
3: I mean, when
1: you die, they have to right. call us. So right. those numbers are, are, regardless of what's going on with Narcan, um, but the numbers are lower because of Narcan. Okay. but just to go back for a second you you hit something on the head which is very important you could probably do a half a dozen shows on homelessness and and one of the issues that we see is that who do we deal with that are homeless people that have alcohol abuse drug abuse mental health issues we have a couple of locations that we can take them in Haverhill but if they had a problem there before they're not allowed back if they go in and they smell booze they're not allowed in Um, if you leave early like let's say they you have to be out at seven AM. If you leave at five or six in the morning, then you're suspended for three days. You can't go back in. I see. So So there's
3: rules. I mean, you know, they're they, they rules. rules.
1: The problems that you have is that people don't like homelessness. And by what I mean by don't like is there are certain places in Havel, for instance, they'll go under bridges which nobody really sees. Sometimes they go on the parking deck. Now people come in and out for work, they call, we're afraid, we don't like people in here. And then we'll get calls and get them out of there, get them out of there. So the problem that you have is that if you're homeless, okay, we can't expect you to walk 24 hours a day. Right. I, we can't tell you you, you can't get to go sometime, to the library, right. you can't go on any city property, you can't go under a bridge, you can't go in. You have to allow people an opportunity to sleep, especially when they can't get into a facility for whatever the reason. The facilities all fill up, mm. Now, in the winter, when it goes below about 20 degrees, our officers go out, and anybody that is out on the street, they have to come into the lobby in the police station. It's not even an option because we've had people freeze to death. We'll find them behind dumpsters the next day. So we kind of mandate that they come in, and sometimes we can have a half a dozen people sitting in my lobby area until 7 in the morning when the sun pops up.
3: Do you have uh. problems with trying to get them to go? Uh, because I'm, I would imagine a lot of people are homeless, who are addicted. Maybe have warrants, or they're afraid they might have warrants. and might not want to come with you because, hey, look, I'm not. I'm, Our problem's the they're opposite. are saying I'm going to
1: be in the lobby, but I might end up in a cell. No, no ours is the opposite. It's they getting them work. to leave. Oh, <laughs> you know, because we, you know, we end up giving them donuts and we give them coffee, and you know, sometimes they don't want to leave. You know, we right. get a crowd yeah, coming a in. It's are good for them. So, I mean, it's uh, it's you know something that we have to you know be mindful of also because it is a place of business that people need to come in and out of, and I can't set up a shelter in my lobby, but. We do bring them in in extreme cold conditions But homelessness is probably One of the major issues that I mean everybody from San Diego To Miami is dealing with And nobody has solved it right. Nobody anywhere in the country That's has because there were, no,
3: that's there were no politicians even trying to solve it I mean, at, we, at any level
1: Well the problem you also have is that we just had A, a gentleman show up in the mayor's office last week um, Checked himself out of a nursing home I don't like it here Don't like the people here I'm out of here Well, he's got no money. He's got no ID. He's got nowhere to go. He shows up in the mayor's office. Uh, What are you going to do for me? Get me an apartment. We we can't get you an apartment. Everything we tried to do was a no. We ended up having to commit this gentleman. But in three days, he'll get out, if not less. Because they can sign themselves out. And then then the problem is still there. I mean, I don't know what the solution is. I I don't know how you take care of homelessness where there's nobody left on the streets, and that's right. something that we're all facing. Right. Well, I mean,
3: I would imagine it would start with political courage, right? You guys are in—you in, guys are in charge of enforcing the laws, but those who are in charge of making the laws, those who are in charge, like the mayors and the state reps and the state senators, the governors, all the way up. It seems as though uh, every day I'm hearing uh, there's some new bill that got passed that's going to solve the opioid crisis. They throw money at the problem in one program or another but it it, it we're seeing there's no there's no results. Well, Tom, zero
1: results. You have to remember that especially with things like the opioid crisis just like with gangs the things that we're doing now we're really not going to see the benefits of those for probably 8 to 10 years down the road because we have to see these children growing up to see where they where they go mm-hmm. to see how successful or unsuccessful they are. So Things like that, it's it's very difficult to determine whether or not it's a success or not. We have people, uh, you know, we work with NFI, we go out, every time there's an overdose, we go out and see the person who overdosed, and we talk to their families to try to get them the resources, and I can tell you from personal knowledge that we have met with families, and they've said, yeah, this is his fifth time going in rehab. This is her fourth time in rehab. So it's not the type of thing where you grab them, you talk to them, you get them in rehab one or two times, they're done. Some of these families have literally bankrupted themselves mm-hmm. trying to save their, you know, their loved ones, and it could take a half a dozen times. Yep. And the biggest part of the problem is that if we get to you and we get you squared away, and you go right back where you came from with the same environment, environment. the same friends. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen? Right. And so those are the challenges that you face, and you try, and you say, you know, let's let's take care of the, you know, the opioid problem. It's it's a lot more complicated because there's so many spokes in this thing that it's it's very difficult to resolve. Chief uh,
3: Solomon, dealing with the shootings, the crime, the regular day-to-day stuff that you have to deal with. Um, while all that is going on Your officers then have to stop When there's, a, when there's an overdose somewhere At the McDonald's bathroom or wherever um, You have people that you deploy That aren't police officers that are now dealing with this you want to, And we're going to bring them up in a few minutes but yes. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah sure, so back in uh, 2013 We started on the project By 2015 we had two civilian clinicians uh, Full time And one of them is here with us today We've tried for the last two years To get a full time mental health counselor because obviously and i know chief denaro talked about it the addiction the mental health uh the homelessness everything's all grouped together there's most of our overdoses we see a dual diagnosis to some type of mental health there's also an underlying injury or something that related to the opioid use so again i spoke earlier they've done a 429 Intakes this year already since January 1st just two individuals wow. that work for us So if there's an overdose when you say working, intakes
3: you mean people that have overdosed that you guys have have sectioned
4: yes or have Come to us and asked for help Because of a prior overdose or the families reached out to us So there's multiple stages there's an overdose they respond if they're not here They respond as soon as they're back on on call or back to work some of it is family outreach. Some of it is we've outreached to you five times. You've said no, and then they call Jackie or Cole and say, I'm ready. Or Jackie and Cole do their 30-day updates with them, and they say, I'm ready to come in and talk to you. What's very interesting, and, and I know you had said nothing's been done. The truth is the problem was so out of control. A lot has been done to get us to where we are today, but as Chief Nero said, it's a long-term uh, impact, it's going to take some years to see what happened But when you see 429 interactions Where prior to having this in 2013 It was phone call to my office By someone who says, my kid overdosed My nephew has a drug problem And I would literally spend a day, a day and a half To try to get somebody help Or figure out how to do it Because we didn't know what we are doing When we brought in the civilians who were trained in that they literally set them down, do the intake, get the statistics, make the phone calls, get them placement if they want to go. So something that might take me a day, a day and a half might take them two hours. So we're, we're making huge progress. So can someone just
3: walk into the Methuen police station right now? They've got an addiction problem. They're on the rail trail. They're watching us on their phone. Believe it or not, they all have cell phones. I don't know how every, every single homeless person I know has a cell phone. Um and they're, and they're watching us now and they're saying, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to go to the police station. They walk into the station. What is the process? How, how does it work? They walk in and what happens?
4: They walk in, go right up to the window, tell them what their issue is. They're looking for some help. And if one of our clinicians is working, they'll come right out to help them. If not, the officers will take them in. They'll start the process. We'll get them to the hospital, which is our first step. Then we'll call one of our clinicians in. They've done such a good job training the, the officers. The officers can go right to the hospital and start the process. I still think... There's a weak link at least for us Getting them to the hospital and still getting We're a lot better off than we were two years ago when they'd say take them, we don't want them Where they're actually trying But we got to get beyond that 72 hour hold Because after the that 72 hours And they're being released Where are they going? I still right. believe If there's an overdose And we have to deploy Narcan, it should be Mandatory, 72 hours in the hospital Then right off to a minimum 30 days and then evaluated by A doctor before you're released so We are getting better Senator DiZoglio Has been amazing in this fight We've we've been I know some of us have been To the state house to testify on The bills that she's put up and on her committee So she's not only is she A fight fighter for the addiction but The homeless and the mental health Mm -hmm. so With her guidance and with her assistance I'm sure this is going to continue To go but again for us to have the success We've had since 2013 in the legislature in massachusetts it's been wonderful it just needs to go a little bit further than that and and i know people don't want their civil liberties taken away from them but we have to save these lives and when you look at how out of control everything was in that 2016 year the year of 2016 everything just seemed to go crazy then and i bet you if you had lawrence statistics here it would overshadow all of our numbers yeah so this, we're much better off than where we were, but we're nowhere near we need to be. But
3: are we really are we really better off than where we were? When it seems as though the numbers are still spiking, even though the, we know the calls are going down, but we know why, right? Mm-hmm. So, are, uh, is it is it a false sense of security that things are going down? When I look at the trend line on Mass.gov, it it, it looks like the stock market. I mean, where we were two years ago and where we are now is like here. But the line's going like this Well everything's
4: cyclical like that And everything has its ups and downs Again I can only speak for my city yep. And I think where I credit Where I say it's getting better 429 people wouldn't want help Two years ago right. Three years ago it was a fight You knock would them and they were fighting with you Because you took their highway. Right. Now with the use of knock We're seeing people self-asking for help Please can you do something for me now I can't do this again because if I do it again I'm not going to make it. We've had our people that are six, seven, eight overdoses. I was, I was just going to say, we have had seen that? We've had three generations in the same family, in the same house, overdosing repeatedly wow. and refusing help.
3: The family that uses heroin together. But,
4: you know, these things happen, and it's unfortunate. But, uh, again, it, it's a multifaceted attack. I still say that there's a failure of the health system. The health department's... Need to get involved I know the state health department is doing things But this isn't a police issue This is a health issue right. And where do you ever see a panel Where there's health experts, right. health nurses Health directors attacking this Oh yeah, they come to our meeting You know, the meeting quarterly Everybody talks, but just because we're here 24-7 We shouldn't be the people that are the face of this right. We're the face of it Because no one else wants right. to do well, it That's why. Quite I frankly, to we're not that trained in this Even though what we've learned I would much rather have the clinician, the nurse, the health director, who should be taking the lead in this, and all the follow-ups, the civilians. Not that we don't love them and they don't do great work for us. They should come under that umbrella right. where they have more resources. One of the issues we have is still that the police outreach of training and giving away NACAN, where we have to do it to the civilians because we can't do it. So if it was the health you guys department, you be, guys
3: can't give it away. We're
4: still having a problem with it in our community getting being authorized to give it away. Not to say. Departments aren't doing it, but a lot of the departments that are doing the training by law enforcement and giving it away have that little bit of a legal problem. So we're just trying to be careful because Methuen is Methuen.
6: <laughs> One thing I refer I to. I watch your council meetings. I understand. <laughs> I'm the help desk for our community. I'm sure the other chiefs are. We handle everything. Right. Because mm-hmm. we're the people that are open 24 hours a day. We get the calls, and that's what we do. And back to as far as the expense of taking care of treatment, I know two different families from my town that They spent upwards of $100,000 to get the treatment, and not only that, from their treatment they learned that they got to make sure their kids should never come back to the area. They've actually packed up and moved so their kids could never come back and hang around with the kids that originally got them addicted or that pod of kids that Got them in the wrong circles as they went along. You know, it's, uh,
3: I'm so glad that you, that you bring up the environment, and I think Alan brought it up too, because I remember reading. Uh, I used to subscribe to uh, a magazine called Psychology Today, and they were they had maybe about 15, 20 years ago, they had a big study out where they tested mice and they got them addicted to cigarettes. And then they weaned them off the cigarettes and they got them clean. And they put one back in the same exact environment that they were in when they got them addicted to cigarettes. They put another mouse into a totally different environment. And the one that went into the same environment went back to it immediately. And the one that went into a different environment never went back. And I I think that that says a lot about the way – People who are trying to get clean, my sister went to five different rehabs before she got clean Five different rehabs, Uh, she was a missing person, we had the FBI out looking for her I mean, some of the people at this table know Um, And and it wasn't until she found a faith-based rehab She went to Teen Challenge in in Haverhill, in Bradford And it wasn't until she went to that faith-based rehab where they teach you where you it's instilled upon you that there's a higher power, that there's something bigger and better than you and more <laughs> important than you, where she finally got clean, she's been clean I think three years now, um and she spoke at the TMF family dinner last night for the homeless. Um, she does a lot of homeless outreach too. Um, I, I, how many of them are there out there though as my, my what I, my worry is my sister got lucky. How many of them are there out there? If someone comes in tomorrow and says, "Hey, I want to go to a faith-based rehab."
1: Where do you send them? Nobody, huh? Wow. Well, well, we have we- people that, that have lists of these organizations. Right. And just a matter of getting them connected. We don't turn anybody away, like like Chief Solomon said. We're not turning you away. We will figure out where to get you, mm-hmm. and, and we make sure that that happens for you. But you have to have the drive and the desire to do it. I don't want you to think that they're kicking down the doors to come in for rehab, because they're really not. It's just a matter of when they hit that point, I mean, we've had people overdose two and three times in a day. That's crazy. So, I mean, it's just a matter of yeah, they've got to be sanctioned. Chief Gray, uh, we talked two years ago about the Angels
3: program in Gloucester and how that started. Can you uh, can you just talk a little bit about what that is and what you what you think of that? I think most of the chiefs here at the time said they were they were not real happy with the idea. We're two years away now. We've got a little bit more of a perspective, maybe a thirty thousand foot view on it. What do you think?
5: Um, I think that the district attorney Jonathan Blodgett. Pretty much gave us marching instructions because that that program was basically um, granting immunity for some crimes, and we don 't have the authority to do that so if someone has warrants and you know they have drugs on them and stuff like that we can 't just turn a blind eye you know that's that's job of the, the district attorney 's office so again you know it it sounds in principle like a good program but it really it, it has a lot of um, Gray area if you will.
3: How, how does it work that angels program how, for the people at home that might not know <laughs>
5: my understanding is is if you walked into the Gloucester police station and you had drugs on you or or you know committed a crime or something that they would bring you uh, into treatment um and not charge and so the the problem with that was what about the victim right and so when when you get into that whole aspect that's what the DA's offices are for the victim witnesses advocates and how they conduct their business that's that's their Purview. Okay.
1: We have a system. I think Methuen's involved. Haverhill, Amesbury, Salisbury, um, their communities may be involved also. I thought it was more of an Essex County thing where we've kind of mimicked the Angels program in that we have the ability to let each other know if somebody from Methuen comes into Haverhill and overdoses and that Methuen gets notified of that so they know about what's happening so they can reach out to them. Because we may only see them In Wendy's type of thing. So, I mean, we do have um, a program set up that is similar to that without the amnesty aspect of it. So if we do find people that need to be directed for assistance, we can get them to to facilities and to uh, counseling and that type of thing. So we we do have a program. It's just not the angel program. Right, right. Any anybody else on this angels program idea? Well,
4: again, giving I, I,
3: amnesty and letting people just go. So, Tom,
4: I tend to be sometimes that rebel rouser type of guy, and quite frankly, when Chief Campanello started that, I had no problem with it. I talked to him right at the beginning. We had started ours a couple of weeks, couple of months before that, just doing our own outreach. And here's how I look at it. this: is my disagreement on that? If my drug unit's out on the street right now and they grab me. Buying drugs, not selling, buying They take, they can They have the ability in the law To take the drugs, turn me And have me go buy drugs Although they get me help, they can use me as an informant What's the difference Between that, in my mind And you come into the station with a small amount of drugs Not quantities, you know, a couple of bags And you want to get rid of the drugs, and get help. So that's where I've had that problem. I truly believe the reading of the statute allows a police officer discretion to charge or not charge. It's not amnesty, it's the ability to charge or not charge, which means the district attorney, the AG, could still charge you, because I didn't. But if there's no drugs, you can't use it. But I'll say this, from all my conversations with the Chief back then, from the time he had been there, he was only there a couple of years, you know how many times he told me someone came in with drugs? Zero, because what do they do before they come in? They They use it Because they know they're going So he... In my understanding from talking to him now, I I never followed up afterwards, at the beginning it was more of, hey guys, come on in here and and I won't lock you up. Now as to warrants, they would not charge someone if they had a warrant. But let me tell you, there's no chief. If someone walked in with a murder warrant or a rape warrant, we weren't going to process them. We were going to lock them up. You come into my station now and you want help and you have a warrant for operating without a license or shoplifting, we're going to get you the help. And when you're released, we're going to pick you up and we're going to take you to court. We're going to clear it. Even if you come in, we can call the clerk, process the warrant, bail you, all within 45 minutes and still get you treatment. But I think what Lenny did, Chief Campanella at that point, was he used that as the, you know, sometimes you need to draw the spark, you know. I mean, it's the it's the pop that gets people to come. So he used that to get the media attention, to get the word out. And I think there was way too much focus placed on the fact that he was Doing something that was outside of the scope and what we've seen from parry throughout the whole united states the police assisted addiction recovery initiative where everyone's calling the angel program it's like chief denaro said and and the other chiefs we all have a something like that and i think one of the best things we have is as chief denaro said is if there's an overdose in Methuen and you live i don't care if you're in Worcester and they don't have a problem, we're calling Wister to, to tell them. So we're communicating. And how many times have we talked about the failure to communicate or lack right, of communications? Right. Police communicating not only with crimes. We're now calling, we'll call uh, Chief De Nero's people and say, hey, we just had an overdose from your community. We got them at the hospital. Do you want to send your people? We'll process them. And then even if not, they don't have anyone, they'll do the follow-up afterwards. And one of the things I've seen around the country that I think has made such a difference And even, not even around the country, but Plymouth County in Massachusetts is doing this really well, but I've seen it around the whole country. Wherever you live, if you overdose in our community, police departments are calling that other community and saying, you have this person who lives in your community, we just got them in help, they're at this hospital or this treatment, can you do the follow-up? And if you study the Plymouth County program, which is the ANGEL program, twist it a little bit, where they don't give amnesty, but they All the community meets constantly, they do these diffusion meetings where they share information, but every single overdose from wherever you live, you call that other police department like we're doing, that's how you get the help Because now, think of this If you overdosed in Havel, then you overdosed in Boxwood, Boxford, then not the Andover Then Lawrence, and no one told us How would we know enough to do the in- right. intake So that's one of the biggest breakthroughs I think of the program, is the joint Cooperation, which requires memorandum Of understandings, and an understanding of Confidentiality and the HIPAA laws all that stuff has been resolved through MOUs, but that's one of the biggest successes I've seen in all these programs: is us talking to each other about who needs help rather than who's a criminal.
3: Chief Gray, um, two years ago we were here. The biggest thing that was on anybody, everybody's mind was fentanyl. It was just really hitting. Now we're two years away. What has changed? Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse with the fentanyl, the heroin that's laced, the quantity, the strength? The fentanyl's gotten worse I would
5: say and it's the strength it's more and more potent and they're having other stuff coming out that we're getting bulletins on car fentanyl which is even more potent and um, you know we talked about uh, the Narcan we're carrying uh, all north Denver of our offices have two and they carry two for not only a victim but what happens if they get uh, with transdermally or what not they ingest it they need something for themselves Sure. Too. Yep. And, and we all know you know one is none and two is one so right. it, it's, it's definitely you know it's getting up there and, and again with the fentanyl um, you know, it, it's it's. I think worse than heroin because it's you know synthetic.
3: Right, and in North Andover, I would imagine because it's a little bit more of an affluent community than Lawrence, you guys probably see more the distribution side, the 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 people who are making it, the people who are selling it, um, laundering their drug money by buying maybe a nice house in North Andover or buying a business in North Andover. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, the
5: the biggest thing we're having is is you know. More of the using, and again, it's we're right next door to the city, so it's easy to go over. Um, you know, we get the, the travel through traffic, you know, residents from other towns that cut through, you know, to avoid major thoroughfares so they don't get stopped. And they're using, they're coming back into town, they're using it, parking lots sometimes, uh, bathrooms, again, the same thing that happens in, in Methuen and Haverhill. Um, and, you know, not so much the, the business aspect of it, though, because if, if they are selling, it's more middling to support their own habit.
3: Same thing with you, Jim. Uh, I'm sorry, chief uh, chief writer. The the it's a, it's an at, more and more affluent community. Do you see more of the money laundering? The we just find the users.
6: We find it's generally really just a child comes home from wherever, and that's where the addiction starts. Yeah. A few times with older residents that may have got hooked through starting off with the painkillers and then work their way that way. But the last two deaths we had in town were both more tied to fentanyl. Than actually just the opioid. What's the biggest?
3: What, what are the biggest crimes going on in Boxford? If, if I'm going to thinking of buying a house in Boxford, and you and I having coffee before I buy my house, um, you know, what, what's the biggest issue that your department
6: deals with, like,
3: besides all this opioid stuff? Like, what? Speeding. Really? So no, it's it's, a, it's mostly we're, traffic. We're stuff. a cut
6: through town. If you're going from Hartford, Connecticut, to Bangor, Maine, and there's a backup at the bridge in Haverhill, they all cut through Boxford to go over from 495 to 95. Right. So it's we're very isolated to a number of these issues just where we don't have a downtown with a lot of stuff that we don't have. A do you have a lot opinion.
3: do you have a lot of traffic stops where you have trafficking going on where you pull them over, you find out they've got stuff in the trunk, stuff, you know. No, no.
6: Generally commuting Really? morning and the afternoon.
3: Chief Dunell, do you have a canine you have a canine crew, don't you? Do you, we you use
1: the one or the sheriff or the state police?
3: Now why is that? Like I thought that was gonna be a
1: yes answer and I was gonna move on to the next question. No, we do not have a canine and is uh, the mayor afraid of dogs? Is no, I don't think he's afraid of dogs. It's just that right now our manpower is such that I really can't afford to send. Somebody off to the schools And we have some, I mean North Andover Has one, um, Methuen has The Chuck, sheriff Chuck, the was the,
3: Chuck was the uh, the canine officer for years and years right? I was a
1: canine, I, I retired two dogs When oh, wow. I was uh, wow. in Florida So I'm, I'm very familiar with canine yeah. uh, It's just that right now um, We have the ability To utilize other canines around us So we don't really have that pressing need
3: Right, I mean would you, would you Take a dog if we could get you some support On the city council, would you take a canine
1: I would say we would take one when we get some more people on. Okay. I mean, right now... So right I mean, now, your staffing I'm, is your big issue. I'm 21 in the hole right now. Wow. And I've got five or six later to retire in the next year. Wow. And we're having a, a huge problem hiring people. I mean, I had 21 spots for this next academy. I'll be lucky if I get 13 or 14 in the class.
3: And is that because people are, with with the environment, the anti-police environment that's around that fewer people want to go into policing? Is it because it's harder to get through the through the process of becoming a police officer, or is it something else?
1: I think it's multiple things. I think it's that. I think it's also uh, the, the new generation of, of potential work candidates has an entirely different mindset on on what a career should be, and, and it's just very difficult right now. People are not – when I came on the job, you worked someplace for 25 or 30 years and you got a pension. We have people come on now in the two years, they say, You know, I think I'm going to do something else now Right What do you mean you're going to do something else? I mean,
3: it's a thankless (laughs) job I mean, listen, I've had cops in my whole family my
1: whole life It's a thankless job you guys have It's tough, it's a tough job Right, and nowadays, everybody has a phone Everybody has a camera Everybody records you There's a lot more pressure and, And this job is different now As I said before We now primarily deal with drug addiction Alcohol abuse, mental health, homelessness That's the police officer's wheelhouse In places like Haverhill, Lawrence, Methuen That's what we deal with daily That's not what you saw when you watched T.J. Hooker on TV right. And everything else right. All right? They, they had all kinds of fun and did things Hold on, I never heard of that guy We're not, that that <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing that anymore We're not doing that anymore So it's, it's a different type of job Would your job be
3: easier If the politicians weren't demanding that you guys be social workers, because that's what I'm hearing, is that you guys have basically become social workers, would your job be easier if you could just deal with responding to crime, which is what policing is supposed to be, than doing it this way? Or
1: or do you see a benefit to doing it this way? No, I see a benefit to doing it this way. You, You have to be in touch with the community, the people, and their needs um, they don't need us to arrest them and write them tickets. They need us to assist them in getting the services they need to be successful in their lives. I was you know, surprised all four of you went yeah, like yeah. this when I asked that question. I mean, that's why our school resource officers. I have, um, I believe, I have four in the schools, three in the schools right now. Um, actually I actually have four in the schools right now, and they are doing phenomenal work, especially with with children. I mean, they are impacting them, they're impressing them. They're sometimes they're the first positive contact they've had with a uniform officer is somebody in the schools, especially my middle school SROs. So um, I think that's an important part of this job. It's, it's, become, it's become one of those skills, those life skills, that when we look at you to hire you, we need to make sure you know how to deal with people and, and, and how to relate. I mean, we've had to add a component to our field training program, which is 12 weeks, where we actually have to teach the kids today how to talk to people. Because we say, you know, we go we'll do a bar check. You go in the bar and you walk around and you talk to people. You take a look around and see how they do. Why Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, what do you mean you don't feel comfortable? Well, because they like to do this. They text. Right. So we have to actually get them out of that texting mentality and teach them how to relate to people. How do you talk? Look people in the eye. Talk to them. See what's going on. Drive with your window down when it's not three degrees outside. Our, our society
3: is doomed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're which which is doomed? When you have to teach people how to interact with each other.
6: All of Sorry. us came on the job probably about like 21, 22 years old, and we learned from being whatever we were to police, and that's what we did. We didn't have to be taught how to do it. We had the communication skills, and we moved on. We, with my job with midnights, that's what the younger guys generally don't want to be on the midnight shift. I would have been on the j- midnight or the job 15 years before I could have gotten to midnights. Because that's where all the senior guys were back in the day. Right. Because they would take the overtime, they would take the details.
1: Right.
6: It's just far different. And the communication skills are huge. And I went three years after I was in high school, I was back in high school as a police officer. And it wasn't anything that was out of the ordinary to me. I walk in, there I was, now I'm a police officer, right. and we work together. Now it's just a much more of a learning curve, and it's some people just never get it.
3: Chief Gray, you were the uh, canine officer for a long time. I remember the first time I saw you, I knew who you were, and uh, you you were arresting a guy. The dog took him down, and the guy took a swing at you. You I think I said it at the bash at the time. I I would have taken a swing back at him. I was watching the way he was treating you. and uh, It's like such a professional. You slapped the cuffs on him, treated him respectfully, put him in the cruiser. Now that you're chief, uh, do you have other canine officers? How many do you have if you have any, And, and how intricate is that in... And when you have people driving through from Lawrence to Haverhill or wherever that are trafficking it or going into a home where you think there might be something there. Canines, I've always thought they were, you know,
5: it's the best part of the job for me, first of all. But um, like Chief DeNaro said, though, there's canines all over the place. So when Lawrence had just got their canine, you know, it's it's um, going to be a, a, it's a patrol drug right now. But ours is patrol and, and EOD because when the head trainer of Boston PD calls you as a former pupil and says, why do you want a drug dog? Do this. Cause then you can use these dogs. Like you said, that, um, the sheriff's department, state police. So by, by multi-training these dogs, that way, if Chief Denaro needs an EOD dog, he can call me. And if he needs a uh, drug dog, you can call Lawrence. What's EOD? Explosive ordinance. That's the oh, like okay. gun dog. Right. They're sniffing out for, um, for explosives. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And you have like the airports right in North Andover. Right. You've got a lot of industrial areas where, you know, you would probably need that. Right.
5: Right. right. But I, I think it's a, it's an awesome, um, asset to any department and, uh, Right now I have one, I'm looking to hopefully have
3: another one Where do you see this Crisis five years from now Is this going to get better, have our Politicians, do they have Some kind of a handle on it, have they put Things in place where five years from now we're going to see Or is this just going to keep going
5: We're talking about the opioid again I I don't know I'll give it a push, I don't know
3: yet Anybody
4: Time will tell Tom, and again think Back of the uh, crack epidemic We had, and we sat around when all this started and we sat around with, we called some of the older cops and said, I came in as that was, had reached its peak and was coming down and said, what did you do to fix it? Right. Trying to figure out how it got fixed.
1: Well, they didn't fix it. They I mean, didn't. We just, it just replaced switched. it with a different drug. Right. And
4: that's actually what they ended up saying. Yeah. So hopefully, the problem to me is more than the heroin is the fentanyl. And that's really the supply of fentanyl is what's what's really killing. Our people.
1: heroin arrests are turning out to be one hundred percent fentanyl. One hundred percent. they They think they're buying heroin. Yeah. They're buying fentanyl. Wow. And if they'd shot it up, they'd be dead. Not necessarily. No. I mean, it depends on. Can you shoot one hundred percent fentanyl? Can you? It depends on how strong the dosage is that you're getting. What he what he's saying is
4: that instead of heroin. That's cut, it's fentanyl that's cut with something. Right. So we're seeing the same thing, and uh, where you would see a small percentage of fentanyl. fentanyl Now, even our pills, someone thinks they're buying an OxyContin, OxyCodone. Right. It's actually not, it's fentanyl that's cut with something else. So that's really what pushed this. Now, there's supposed to the be another level. drug
3: coming out now that I'm starting to hear about, not the carfentanil, but now something else. There's some other drug. Do you guys? Do you have any familiar, familiarity with that? Is something supposed to be stronger than carfentanol? Not talking-
6: sure, but that's going to be the next problem we have. Mm-hmm. Right. What comes next, where it came from, and what gets out there to try to get in front of it. Isn't
1: S- it synthetics? When you're talking about yeah. synthetic drugs, they can just create.
6: And
3: that's stuff that's just made in a lab somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can really make whatever they
6: want if they want to. And then you guys are the ones that have to do all the cleanup. If it starts as a mild version of whatever that drug is and starts in your college campuses, gets moved around, gets more addictive over time then they all come back to the community.
1: We don't do the cleanups. We have hazmat teams, the FBI, the DEA, state. I mean, we don't even go in. If we see that we have a meth lab or we have something else that's of significance, we seal, evacuate, we get out of the area and let them do it.
3: Now, how how closely do you guys work with um, the the state and federal uh, agencies? I know they're in Lawrence all the time. I see them. I talk to them. I'm I'm at some of the raids. Um, We have a great front-page story today about some of the gun raids that they did. Um,
1: but I would imagine they're probably in Lawrence more And maybe Haverhill more because that's where State police, the U.S. Marshal's Office, DEA um, They have they have desks in my detective bureau Oh, they do? Absolutely
3: Oh, that's fantastic You guys, same yeah, thing? Yep. So you guys all have other agencies working directly in your departments That are kind of working together with you guys?
4: We have our officers working with them So we have an officer assigned to the FBI task force Which is doing all the drugs uh, gangs, and he, that specific officer brings all the information back to us. Everybody does it a little bit different, but interacting with the state and the sheriff's department, it's a constant, because if we're not, then on the gang issue and the drug issue, particularly those, if we're not working with the federal and state partners, in particularly the sheriff's office, because of the wealth of information that comes from them from housing everybody that's really how we've been successful to curb some of the violence make the arrests and you know do some of the interdiction right because we talked all this about what we're doing to help people we that's only half the problem the other half of what we're doing is the interdiction because there has to be both sides or it's not going to succeed
3: how frustrated are you guys that there's now a trend toward not Having a consequence for committing crimes, we're seeing it in California. We're seeing it in New York. Decriminalizing—it's almost reversing the broken windows uh, theory, where there's there's no consequence in California. There's people defecating in public. There's people. Aren't you um, seeing it in Suffolk County? What's that? Suffolk County, Suffolk County, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, oh right, because of uh, The DA, the, she's the, saying the she won't DA, prosecute The new DA is, is pro-criminal So how frustrating is that for you guys Because now it's, I mean, that, that's that's A tide that's going against everything well, We haven't seen down. that,
1: I mean, John Blodgett does a phenomenal Job mm-hmm. in Essex County as far as Prosecutions and, you know uh, The whole judicial system Where our senior judge Just retired, Steve Abaney And uh, the Chief Judge came in to Haverhill and met with myself, my prosecution officer, uh, my patrol commander, to ask us what we would like to see in the new judge coming in. So they're being very responsive as far as trying to work with us to accomplish things. So we're not experiencing that yet, or at least I'm not seeing it from from Haverhill and, and Essex County side. Plus, also... Well, you know, like Chief Solomon said, I have officers in the DEA, I have officers that are U.S. Marshals, I have officers in the FBI, and anytime we can take a case federally and get it out of the state system, we take it federally.
3: So now you're saying, you're saying, and I'm, this is contrary to what I thought, you're saying that you, you get a lot of support from the judges, and what I'm hearing is... That you guys go out there, you do all the hard work, the prosecutors do all the hard work, and the judges are letting them go, they're
6: giving them suspended sentences, and they're right back on the street. Has juveniles. That, that Mostly
1: that's juveniles. Okay. We I mean, also we,
6: got the outreach from the chief judge also, so they probably went right to Haverhill being the largest city in Haverhill District Court, right. but they reached out to all the smaller communities and they had a meeting up at the court for the other chiefs.
3: Right. And then you're in Lawrence, not in Haverhill, when you go to court. Uh, how do you find it in, in, in Lawrence? It seems like, from what I'm hearing, and maybe I'm wrong because sometimes you hear things that are wrong, um, you guys do all the hard work. The prosecutors do all the hard work, and they're back out on the streets. Well, again,
5: I mean that's that's the that's the courts as far as what, you know how what gets brought up as far as evidence and how you know is it really benefiting someone to lock them up and throw them in, in jail for two and a half years when. They could be going through the diversion program that the DA has set up, and instead of letting them out on the street with no consequence, they're out on the street, but they have consequences hanging over their head. Mm-hmm. So even though it appears that they've been let go, they're not. They have to go to classes. They have to do community service, and the the uh, the whole program, the diversion program, is is great because now they're actually letting um, adults do it too. So it's, it's taking them out of the system as far as the jail, but it's ho- it's making them have consequences to deal with their actions, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of... Almost benefit in the community
1: our biggest problem is juveniles because oh. now that they saying you can't prosecute them Right the criminals are using them to carry their drugs oh, carry the their nice. yeah, yeah. So that's our biggest problem. So now uh, are any of you veterans
3: is anybody here a veteran? So I, I, have, I have a good friend Donnie Jarvis who lives in Newbury. Uh, he's a veteran and um, Has been trying forever to get me to do a story on the on the veterans court I didn't even know there was a veterans court um, and I think was, it, I was, it, you, it, was it, yeah. you were the one that first told me yep. And then I called Donnie And Donnie was like, yeah, you got to come down you got to see how this works Can you talk about that? So everything that we talked about If you're a veteran, it's very different, right? right. If you've served your country You've been honor- honorably yeah. discharged uh, you, You're in Boxford You get pulled over You've got a, a couple of grams 30 grams of, of fentanyl in the car What happens?
6: As far as what happens, I don't know But we do have the outreach process Where we get them in touch with the Veterans Administration guy, and then he'll help them through the process. It just We've only had it a few times with OUI arrests. Very basic stuff. It's never been the drugs. And they've kind of taken over the process and helped the veteran through.
1: I don't think it's well, – I think it's more slated, as the chief said, for, for misdemeanor-type crimes than it is for, say, trafficking-type crimes, or mm-hmm. something serious like that. Mm-hmm. I think they get like, – like the first time, I think they get a pass of some kind where it doesn't go on their permanent record and – I don't know that they do that for if you're trafficking cocaine. Is there
3: a separate something. drug court? I know some commun- some states have a separate drug court where yes. you're not going to Lawrence District Court or you're not going to Haverhill District Court, you go into some separate... Haverhill has a drug court. Oh, so you do. So how so, does that so work? Does Lawrence, yeah. Oh, they do. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how does that work now instead of going before a judge for a regular crime of assault oh, battery or whatever? you go in whatever, front of the
1: judge for oh, you the do? crime okay. and then the and judge will then decide on what type of program to put you in or... And it's, I believe, it's for first offender type of things. Okay. You you can't be on your third dealing arrest and then gotcha. come in and get a break.
3: Gotcha, Joe. You um, and and, and I've I've been giving them more time because we're going to bring up um uh what are, some of your civilians. Here you don't have to worry
1: and about and Joe's say. time. <laughs> yeah,
3: he's, you know, don't worry, so Joe gets a lot of time. <laughs> um, but you you're, you're you're living in a you're patrolling a community. That is unfortunate by uh, location, right? You've got Lawrence to yourself, and you've got New Hampshire to the north, mm-hmm. which means you get the people coming from New Hampshire going to Lawrence. They got to cut through your community, and then they buy their drugs. Sometimes they shoot up while they're there, and then they're driving through your community to go back into New Hampshire. And so you're getting a lot of that, and you're also getting, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, labs and and um, homes that are being used to produce and package. I know of a, mm-hmm. like on House Street. You guys had a big a big DEA raid last summer. Um, and by the way Thank those guys too They were really good to us When we were there at the scene uh, We just happened upon it We just happened to be there When it was, was going on um, He happened to be there When one of my guys Called him before they called <laughs> me <laughs> When we never give out our sources Um, But listen, I'm very grateful that I have a lot of friends in law enforcement That are always trying to tip me off And I always go out of my way to stay out of your way To stay out of the way of the feds when I'm at those things And I've even had guys say to me Why are you way over there? And I'm like, because I'm trying to be respectful I'm trying to stay out of your way I'm not the Tribune I'm not going to walk up to you at a scene And throw a microphone in front of your face While you're trying to do your job But it must be frustrating for you to be the victim of circumstances where by location No matter what you do to handle The drugs that are going on in your town Because of where you are You're always going to have that traffic running through And you're always going to have the problems that come with that Can you talk to that a little bit? Sure,
4: so, but you know, five years prior Go back five years before then We used to say we are in the triangle Lawrence, Lowell, and Havel Now it's more of Lawrence, Havel And uh, Manchester, New Hampshire But mm-hmm. we also have a significant amount of Action that comes from Maine mm-hmm. And because we have 495 and 93 We're getting it on both sides of the city But what we are, we just had a couple of weeks ago uh, Someone called and says Hey, it was kind of strange, I saw a U-Haul pull up To this house that I don't really think anyone's living in They were loading all these boxes And when they left, they left the door open to the house So we sent a car over to check an open door Somebody must be moving Complete stash house Wow, Full of stuff, can we imagine what was taken in In the U-Haul, right. plus there was edibles So it was the first time we found which were marijuana well, I remember animals. that was on West Air Street. Yeah, West Air Street. So. And the
3: owner of that house gave me a lot of crap on Facebook when we reported that. It was all a lie. We yeah. were making things up. He was going to sue us. We're still waiting here.
4: So what we're having, what we're seeing, and we're seeing, because of all the work particularly being done in Lawrence, we're seeing the stash houses in Methuen or the gun house. Mm-hmm. So they do the shooting in Lawrence. They come to Methuen to ditch the guns, but then we get the call. So whenever Lawrence has a a bad incident, whether it's a gang-related fight, a knifing or shooting, we're prepared for the response, because the response usually has to come back to like us. retaliation hit. The retaliation, because they come back to retreat to our locations. Right. And we've been seeing a lot of those issues. We had those issues at 91 Broadway, right. which again, the shootings at 91 Broadway, one of them was connected to a shooting on Manchester Street in Lawrence, and then they were connected to some... Gun running out of New Hampshire, so we're uniquely placed in our community. is really diverse. Where it's a real city of those fourteen streets in the Arlington neighborhood. Then, as you cross Lawrence Street and start to move, we go from the multi tenements to eight, nine hundred million dollar homes. So it's a totally different type of policing that you have to use, and the same shift on the calls. You got to call at 9 a.m. and then you got to call at 11, but it's four blocks away. The officer has to be able to switch on how they react and how, they, how, how they, they develop that call because there's such a diverse action that's needed based on the two different communities. So I credit our officers. They do an amazing job. I'm very proud
3: yeah, to be able to work
4: with them. All of them, the detectives, the specialists, the officers in uniform, everyone's doing great work. But again, it's part of where you are. But it is a it's a location where you have an opportunity to use a lot of different ideas because you have so many different things happening
3: So now I know you have a lot of political problems in Methuen. No, Um, come on. Get (laughs) out (laughs) of here And 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 I want to I want to throw this across the board Um, How frustrating is it for you? You're out there trying to be a police officer and you get dragged into politics You're you're constantly fighting for funding You were talking about for the cameras earlier Mm -hmm. Or canines or whatever it is in your budget And you have city councilors or other elected officials That are constantly trying to cut your budget Or make it look like you guys are doing something Scurrilous when you're not Um, How frustrating is that when you're Trying to be a police officer And you get forced into being kind of a politician
4: Well you know I think You can't be a police chief unless you Understand that part of your life is That you have to be in the political realm But Very indicative of Methuen, this past July, they gave us the custodians that work at the PD. They said, oh, we're gonna give you the custodians. And I said, no, I don't want them, they belong in the DBW. Well, they gave me two custodians with salary, cut their overtime, which runs about 30 grand a year, and cut supplies, so literally, there's no toilet paper, there's no soap, because they just decided we're not gonna give you that money. That's the political impact that affects the quality of life of the civilians and the police officers when you don't have basic supplies to wash the floor or put toilet paper or hand soap in, that affects the morale of the offices dramatically, which is an intent on some of the politicians to disrupt what you do. But yet I give them credit they go out there and do their job. Right. But that's the type of politics that's dirty and is very caustic in my community. The regular politics that a chief has to go up and sell the vision to a city council I've never had a problem with. In fact, I welcome that because it gives you the chance to say what great work they're doing. Well,
3: you're a better man than that because I watch the way they grill you and very disrespectful, very mm-hmm. accusatory, and you stand there when you take it.
4: Well, I think we have to in our positions. And it's funny. It kind of goes back to when you were talking about how the judges and the prosecutors treat cases. If you ask the patrol officer... About a specific case and the outcome And you asked us, we might have a different Viewpoint, because we're looking at it In the big umbrella, mm-hmm. where they're looking at I spent all this time, I chased this guy I went through neighborhoods, we walked through the woods We locked him up, we got to court And three months later, he's in some diversion program That's garbage, mm-hmm. where we're looking Saying, well that's a first time offender This is going to get the person the treatment they ha- That they need, we don't have to Our officers don't have to deal with them 25 more times mm-hmm. So everything comes to perspective
3: Guys, um Political support in North Andover, Chuck Gray. I know you've got a great selectman in uh, Phil, Phil of the Future, Phil Um That you have a new town manager. I haven't met her yet. She's awesome. Is she? She's awesome. So, so how do you how how do you see the support from the local officials, elected officials, especially whereas North Andover seems to be kind of leaning a little left, right? We used to be a very conservative community. We're leaning a little more left now. Um, have you seen any change in the support of the police and what you guys are doing on this and stuff? Not at stuff all. And We get, we get a,
5: a lot of support from the Board of Selectmen and the the town, uh, the new town manager. She's uh, really stepped up the game and, uh, you know, impressed me. Um, you know, we have a deputy town manager who's the same way. Uh, it, just a,
3: a lot of support. So when you guys put in requests, like like uh, Chief Solomon wanted some cameras or he wanted a dog or he wanted, you know, uh, I don't know, like a janitor, you don't get the kind of same kind of political
6: pushback in North Andover that they get in, how about you, Jim, uh, Chief Ryder? My board has been nothing but excellent since I've been there, but some of it's the fact that I've always been very fiscally conservative anyways. When I took over as a lieutenant, the first thing I took over was the police budget. So we live with our means, and by doing that, when we ask for something extra, they've been very receptive to it. Oh, that's
3: great. Now, I know I'm throwing you in the soup, Chief DeNaro, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What kind of political support or roadblocks do you get whether it's the mayor, you don't, have to, you don't have to name anybody, but whether it's the mayor, the city council, the elected officials that you have to answer to, Methuen's very polar. Politi- I mean, Haverhill's very political, and I've watched some of your meetings. I've listened to some of your meetings, thanks to WHAV in Haverhill. Um, what's it been like? How frustrating is it, or how easy is it?
1: I mean, it's. I mean, talk about cameras. We have over two hundred cameras. I really? Mean, so we we. So how come nobody did, has anybody covered that? I, I, no, it was covered a oh, while okay. ago. Right. I mean, quite a while ago. I mean, but. We were the first in the area to have cameras. So, I mean, it's something that we've done. We've gotten support to do. Um, Our biggest challenge is manpower. Um, We are way understaffed for a department our size and the needs that we have. Um, We have received recently, I have received some commitments from the mayor to look at that for the next budget. To look at it. He's going to look at it. He's going to study it. Get back to me in May, <laughs> because, you know, his initial is he would like to see us at least put on another five or 10 officers. Yeah, but you need 21. I mean, that's, that's well, no, no, I'm talking talk about, about on top of the 21. Oh, okay. My issue is I need to make sure that if you're going to put 10 officers on, you don't say, okay, well, that's 10 officers, um, so we'll take that money. Instead of buying the 13 new police cars you need, we'll put on police officers. You know, I need to make sure that we, we're we not like Chief Solomon just said, don't give me something, but then take something else away because then right. that's not a benefit to the agency. Right. So I will see how it goes in this budget year. We're going to start working on it. We usually start working on the budget by early February. Okay. So I, I will know by usually by the beginning of May where I stand and I'll let you know then. Well, I did a story uh, about five years ago. We uh, you, you were nice enough to give me a tour of the
3: station. All the problems that you were having with the physical part of the building, the leaking, the mold. We took pictures. It was You talked about some of the officers that had to go out uh, for lung issues because of the mold, the black mold that they were. Has that been rectified? Because Completely. I,
1: uh, it has. We have all new windows in the entire building. Um, we repointed the brick that needed to be redone. We have a new roof on the building. Um, all of those things are done. Our, our challenge right now is we're trying to build a new animal shelter because the one that we have is embarrassing. And we'll kind of leave it at embarrassing Because that would be another whole podcast on that alone all But right. that needs to be redone We're trying to come up with funding And we're hoping that um, In this next budget, the funding is in place That we can knock that building down
3: Chief Gray, do you, we're getting ready to wrap up Unless you guys want to keep going You have some other stuff you want to talk about But um, We've got the rabbi at four what, Oh, that's At four? I 15. thought it was five um, Alright, so um, For people who are watching Who have a family member Who's struggling with this maybe they've tried to help them and and they've failed miserably maybe they they're estranged what kind of advice do you give to the family members of people and they're everywhere they're everywhere everywhere you go everybody that you talk to know somebody that's been touched by this what advice can you give to the families of people that are struggling with this maybe they're homeless maybe they're not but they're at least addicted um, what, what do you say to those people? Come talk to us. If we can't, it, like we,
5: uh, the chief said, if we don't ha- have the answer, we have the resources to find the answer. And whether it's just a, a consultation, these are these are your options. We have a mental health coordinator now in North Anna, but she's actually out of the police station most of the time. She's available to talk to someone in the lobby. She has talked to people in the lobby. It, it doesn't hurt to ask. And right. just just reach out. We're not going to go, you know, start a case on it and, you know. Arrest? their way out of this problem. We're gonna we're gonna help you. And that's that's what we do.
3: So if someone's in North Andover; they're addicted, or their son's addicted, mm-hmm. and they come to the station. They can say, "Hey, listen, I don't know what to do. Can you counsel me? Can you show me? Absolutely. What can I do? And you guys can at least try and steer them in the right direction. Absolutely.
6: Same thing in Boxford. Absolutely. Well, we find like with the courts, with the schools, with the police departments, we're all working in our own world as far as what we do, but our goal is all the same. We may have to get to it a little differently, but everyone there is ready to reach out and help because that's. We're much more in dealing with the mental health, the addiction, than the crime than we ever have been before.
3: Where do you see this five years from now?
6: The scary thing is what comes next. What the, what's the next drug that's going to come out there we're not prepared for? Right. Where's it going to come from?
3: How about total decriminalization of drugs? You hear this now? Nancy Pelosi's talked about it. AOC and some of the some of the crazy Democrats have talked about it. Um, but I always say never to dismiss anything out of, out of hand. You know, let's, let's think about it and talk about it and kick it around. What do you think?
6: It's not going to happen in my career. No.
3: That's Good it. idea, bad idea. Would you like? Would you guys have an easier job, an easier life if if these if these things were all legal? Fentanyl, heroin. I mean, look, Massachusetts made friggin' menthol cigarettes illegal yeah. while they're setting up heroin injection sites, and and I, it makes no sense to me. But okay, I'm open minded. Let's, let's, let's just think about it, right? Um, would it make your job easier if, if if drugs weren't weren't legal, weren't illegal?
6: I'd have to guess it would make it more difficult. No doubt about it. Chief I, You know
1: what? I want to go back to the last question you asked about what do you tell people? And when we have um, fatalities involving overdoses, uh, one of the most common things that, that we try to tell people and that we find is that they were embarrassed and didn't want to reach out for help, and they tried to handle it themselves. And a lot of times it ends in a death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the advice I would give people going forward, reach out to us. Don't try to handle it yourself. It's bigger than your family. It's bigger than the skills that you have in place to deal with. I mean, we've had kids who were taking their grandmother's china and and heirlooms and pawning them for drugs. And we'd reach out and we'd get the door shut. No, we're going to handle it ourselves. And then children end up dead and they come back and say you know I should have listened yeah, to you right, right so i mean that would be my my big takeaway on on what what to tell people as far as legalizing drugs um, just from legalizing marijuana i'm seeing a whole plethora of nightmares out there that we're dealing with really can you talk about that a little bit i mean i know you don't I'm have enough time that. for me to talk Oops. about that i'll be perfectly can, honest with you can you touch you. on it a little bit i think it's a well oh, i could good touch i mean i i mean Chief Gray is an expert in this as far as just, the, just the, the driving under the influence. We now have little entrepreneurs set up who have... We just had a home invasion where a delivery guy showed up at a house and he saw there was 20 or 30 plants in the house and came back with a shotgun and shot a round off trying to steal the guy's plants.
4: Wow.
1: Um, we have kids now that are opened up their own businesses doing the dealings. We have, we have put in place, because I believe that the legalized marijuana places are so expensive... You know, maybe people in their 40s and 50s, professionals are going there, but the kids aren't going there. Growing it themselves and and selling it. Right. So, I mean, we we do have this has spawned uh, an illegal operation of little entrepreneurs who are out there dealing pot. Um, it has not been successful in places like Colorado. So, the long answer and the short answer to your question is, I don't think it's going to be a success if you legalize everything
6: we're seeing a cottage industry build up with the high school kids just with the um e-cigarettes and all your vaping stuff yeah. they'll put it out they'll get the vinmo account they'll let kids know when they're going somewhere as they're driving to new hampshire to pick up their supplies they'll be letting them know what they want how many bring it right back so everything you do and as things move around in government and how things get regulated there's always someone that's going to try to take advantage of it and definitely doesn't generally benefit us.
3: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to have Chief is going to have one of his civilian, uh, what, what is it called? Uh, community engagement Community person. engagement uh, person is going to come up. I want to thank Chief Gray from North Andover, and please tell the rabbi I'm going to be a little late, but I will be there with the menorah lighting. Okay. Chief Ryder, who's now turned out to be one of my friends, I don't know how that's happened, but it did. And because he's you were, made a
6: big mistake the first I time did, around. Cause
3: I did, because I kicked the crap out of him in my newspaper yeah. one day, and he called me. Out of the of those. Yeah, right? And, and and, and Chief DeNaro, you're still encrypting your police scanners. We need to have another conversation about that. First
1: of all, I learned that from Joe Solomon. He told me, first thing he oh. told me, says, you need
3: to encrypt your radio. No, no, it no, made no, me no. look better. <laughs> no. But I do want to have, I do want to expand this conversation at some point about the marijuana. Would you come back to talk about that? Joe would be happy to. Uh, <laughs> Joe would be happy to. Thank you, Chiefs, very much. I appreciate it when we time, come back. Time. Take a very quick break. When we come back, we have Joe Solomon and uh, some of his civilians at work with outreach with the... And I, don't know, I, I screwed up the whole thing and he just told me what it was. But we'll be back in a couple seconds. This is a 30-second break, so please don't go away. AM Auto Body. We got our friend Angelo over there. Angelo Memolo over there. He does great work on your car. So if you got a ding in your car, somebody hits you, you got a mechanical problem... You bring it to AM Auto. He's on South Broadway in Lawrence on Inman Street. Angel will take care of you. Um, so what's the address there? 341 Three,
6: South Broadway, Lawrence, Massachusetts.
3: I don't know why these guys love me so much. I really don't. But Twin Lights, let me tell you how, how dedicated I am to helping my sponsors. The guys at Twin Lights Security needed an extra security guy to do private investigations and to do security for a certain thing in Boston. And they posted it on my page and asked if it was okay if they could use my page to solicit hiring people. And I said, you know what? As busy as I am, these guys sponsor the show. They sponsor the Valley Patriot. They give us $1,000 for the bash. I'm going to go work for these guys. So I called up Pat McLaughlin and I said, look, you help us every single time we need something. Whenever I put out a call, you're there. If you need an extra person and you're short, I'll take the night off and I'll come work for you. And so I I have been. I've been doing some work for them because they're helping us. And so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to find a way to help them in the meantime. So if you need security or if you're getting divorced and you need a private investigator, if you have a business and you need a private investigator or security, uh, you want to call Twin Lights Security. They're based out of Gloucester, but they're very local. If while I'm driving around Lawrence, I get shot and killed, make sure you get my body to Perez Funeral Home because we do business with the people who do business with us. And he's on South Broadway. With the, it's the old Scott Funeral Home. If, you were, if you're an old-time Lawrence resident, it's the old Scott Funeral Home on, on South Broadway. Perez Funeral Home at 298 South Broadway in Lawrence. Um, you can, they do crematory services. They do all the stuff that they're supposed to do, right? And uh, Mike's a, a big fan of the show. He followed us when we go live. He's an advertiser now in the print edition of the paper. And he's now sponsoring this program. Perez Funeral Home and Crematory Services 298 South Broadway in Lawrence We appreciate him A&M Auto Body We got our friend Angelo over there Angelo Memolo over there He does great work on your car So if you got a ding in your car Somebody hits you You got a mechanical problem You bring it to A&M Auto He's on South Broadway in Lawrence On Inman Street Angelo will take care of you Um, So what's the address there? 341 South
6: Broadway, Lawrence, Massachusetts
3: I don't know why these guys love me so much I really don't But Twin Lights, let me tell you how how dedicated I am to helping my sponsors. All righty crazy day today day after christmas our two-year anniversary edition of the paying attention podcast higher top two guys smoke shop here at the studio 21 podcast cafe and uh, we are sponsored today by mclennan real estate we love mclennan real estate they do a lot for the community afc urgent care we missed them last segment but we want to make sure that we give a big shout out to lisa williams and everybody at afc urgent care they're celebrating their seventh anniversary by the way i believe In North Andover We love AFC Urgent Care Way better than sitting at the Holy Family Hospital Or the Lawrence General for four hours in their waiting room Marcou Towing Uh, We love uh, Jason Marcou And uh, he does a lot for the uh, homeless in Lawrence Marsan and Son Construction We want to thank Ronnie Marsan uh, former city councilman. We're really trying Ed, to get him to run for uh, city council in the East End against you, Steve Saber. You
4: think he'll do it?
3: I think he will, actually. Oh, the key to getting him is convince his wife. <laughs> and so I've been working on his wife really hard to get him to run again um, to see if we can't get him to throw Steve Saber out of office because he's nothing but an obstructionist. Uh, climate design systems. I'm actually live talking to Nino while we're, while we're uh, I'm on Facebook and we're chatting back and forth uh, throughout this uh, throughout this opioid summit uh, If you have a heating problem HVAC problem, you want to make sure you give Climate Design Systems a call The Methuen Police Superior Officers Union I love these guys, and you know what I love even more About these guys, Ed? The fact that they're sponsoring My show is making people absolutely insane <laughs> they, they People are calling sound off in the Tribune, and they're like Duggan's sucking up to them, and he's Giving their side of the story, and he's on their side And Well, you know, listen i am uh, uh, Between a corrupt politician And a bunch of cops, I'm always going to side with The cops I'm I'm sorry that's Just kind of who I am right Um, So we want to thank the Police Superior Officers Union For sponsoring the show and I understand that They're going to be uh, the the Arbitration for their contract has been pushed into uh, Into Late January so the new Mayor is going to be coming on board hopefully He's going to be able to work with them to maybe It won't have to go to arbitration maybe They can just work that out uh, I know you had nothing to do with that contract at all, right? I mean, you're blamed for everything because you're the chief, but I, but I'm pretty sure you had, you had nothing to do with that contract, right? anybody uh, ever ask you that? I know, I know they accused you without even asking, so I'm just going to. ask. They accused me of writing it, so. Oh, right. did you uh, write that contract? The, no. you, I was. Under you you the went in the back room with the smoke <laughs> and the cigars, saying, <laughs> and twenty million dollars and the scotch and the scotch." Right? <laughs> uh, so we want to thank our sponsors. We really appreciate. it. And I want to thank the the, the other three chiefs who were here earlier uh, in our last segment. Chief Chief uh Chief Chuck Gray, who's a Officer Tom Duggan uh Hero Award winner at our charity bash a couple years ago. Um, Chief uh Alan Denaro, uh who I work, believe it or not, very well with, even though we encrypted his police scanner. We're still kind of working on that a little bit. Um and but he does a great job. And the fact that Jim ferentini hates him. Makes me love him even more The fact that his, his mayor hates what he does Makes me love that guy even more Again, I'm always going to side With a police officer over politicians Any seven days, seven days a week And of course, uh, Jim Ryder Who is the chief of Boxford who, and by the way, Jim, who threw that little shot at me on his way out the <laughs> door, I didn't get it wrong. I just didn't have your side of the story. And once we had his side of the story, we did print it. Um, Chief Solomon, uh, you have uh, been really kind of on the forefront of a lot of different police communities in trying to get civilians to work under the umbrella of the police department. To try and address this opioid issue Because as we said in the last segment Or at least as I said in the last segment Cops are not social workers And I don't really think cops should be social workers I think cops should be out there Arresting people who commit crimes And uh, it's great To have civilian social workers Working with police But I don't think it should be the police Now the four chiefs that we had disagreed with me I, I still think I'm right But I'm open minded about it But you did something a little different You brought civilians under the umbrella Of the police department and... You have two of them here. Why don't you introduce them and talk about how this has worked?
4: Sure, Tom. So, again, thanks for having us on the show. And I have one of my civilians, Jackie Ingersoll, here. Mm-hmm. The other one is I'm uh, sorry, Officer Mike Havy, Jr., who also works very heavily in the Community Engagement Department, and
2: he's one of our Narcan experts. So and I see he's got here. the
3: canine patch, so you've yes. got a dog. Where's do. the
2: dog? I do. In the car right now. You should have brought him in. She's probably in my corn mug. Well, I would have loved to have
3: had her on the show, my first dog on the show. Breaking ground here
2: <laughs> So
4: maybe we'll do that, because we have four dogs
3: Oh, you do? So maybe we'll do that So North Andover has none, Lawrence, I think, just got North one North Andover has Righter. one They have one now? North Andover has one, and Abel has
4: none, Lawrence
3: has Lawrence, one Lawrence has one, and you have Four, we have four two explosive ordnance dogs You probably shouldn't have said that, McCarty will want to cut that next out <laughs> of your budget
4: And we have a bloodhound for tracking And we have a patrol dog, a German Shepherd Right. At this time, we don't have a drug dog But that's why there's so many drug dogs out there. Right. We just call for one.
3: Right. And you can go through what? The Sheriff's Department has quite a few. Sheriff's
4: Department, State Police. There's plenty of other local departments that have drug dogs. But you know an EOD dog between uh, Officer Mike Havy and Officer Tim Getchell, with all the shootings, we're out there looking for right. you know ammunition, rounds, uh, firearms. They've been very, very successful. We saw
3: a dog at the at the shooting on Broadway um, on Christmas Eve. Was it Christmas night? That was Buddy. C- uh, Christmas Christmas Eve. Um and he and I usually when you see a canine it's a German Shepherd Mm -hmm. and this he wasn't a German Shepherd I don't know was it a boxer it was something it was something else the yellow lab it's a yellow lab lab. and there's a black lab lab, right yes
4: and uh, we use those as those are our explosive ordnance dogs they're amazing what they could find plus they're very friendly so when you do an event with kids they they they're not going to, you don't have to worry about them biting anybody. So, so
3: introduce the, the two people who are here, sure. and let's just talk about the impact that they're having on the community being uh, on the front lines of this sure. opioid crisis. So,
4: uh, so Officer Mike Avery Jr.'s at the end, and right here is Jackie Ingersoll And Jackie's a Community Addiction Resource Engagement Service Specialist That's a very them,
3: long title So we
4: call them CARES, that's why I said Community Engagement right. uh, Individuals Do you we fit that all in on one plaque
3: in front of your desk? <laughs> <laughs> so there we go,
4: there's a background they've designed Which is oh, the nice. very CARES So Jackie's really on the forefront of all those intakes Her and Cole Welsh Who couldn't make it here today With the 400, what was it, 400 and... Uh, 29. 29 calls for them already this year And that says it's December 3rd with one more month To go so mm-hmm. they're probably top 450 this year but th- Multiple advantages to them, but one is we're not in that service, so as we're making calls trying to get people in beds or into treatment, one, we don't understand where they come from because we haven't been there. Right. Two, we don't have time to form a relationship with all the different groups and agencies and advocates out there where Jack and Cole have the ability to form those relationships. So where I might call somebody when I was doing it once you know, a week, they're talking to the people constantly. So there is something to say when you make your – Build your network and that's part of what they do Of the resources that are out there That I call them all the time Particularly at night or on weekends when someone's Speaking to me say "Hey, I have a situation Can I give them your number and you just talk to them And that allows me to do something else It allows my officer on the street When there's an overdose to get to the hospital And then hand the person's Services off to someone else, they get back to doing police work. So we've been able to, although there's still a lot of response to calls, we've freed the officer up. Instead of being at the hospital for two hours while you work to try to get someone help, you just call somebody in. I and so, one it of workers, so it frees up officers. It frees the officers up and their manpower hours grow because we have the civilians. And Jackie's. Way more in tune to me and knows so much more because she does this all the time about what she does. So maybe we can talk. Yeah, you yeah, know, I want to hear from her about how about was... What she does. Yeah.
0: Um, usually we respond right to the hospital f- with the overdose, and um, we work on getting them a bed. Like Chief said, um, you know, they can do their own police work, and um, you know, we if someone overdoses, a lot of times they don't want help immediately. You know, which I understand. They feel you know awful and things like that. But right. we follow oh. up within twenty four hours either, um, you know, at their home or, um, you know, via phone. And a lot of times they don't want help right away after that, but we continue to follow up the next day after that, a week after that, a month after that. We continue to keep following up. And um, then... That follow-up is key. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. At the home and not just... Um, you know, via phone, and when we put them into detox, it's not just detox. We follow them up through the continuum of care. We get them, you know, to sign a release so we get them into detox, and then follow up after that. You know, whether it be a halfway house, transitional support, uh, a sober house, things like that. We follow them up to a year.
3: How hard is it to get someone into a detox? I do homeless outreach in Lawrence all the time. I work with House of Mercy. I don't know if you know the uh, carry yes. over there and um, and Karina over at Daybreak. And it's well. very difficult because there's a waiting list. At a lot of these detoxes How easy is it for you to get people into detox?
0: We always get people in
3: you, So right away, somebody somebody shows up at the hospital Or somebody gets arrested and go gets sent to the hospital You meet them there, you can get them in right away
0: We have very very good luck With getting people into treatment
3: Oh wow, so the people that are on the streets Who say to me you know, I'd like to go to detox, but I'm not waiting thirty days. I'm not waiting Never fifteen happens. days. I'm just gonna send them to you.
0: Absolutely. All right, we'll very good.
4: Couch.
3: So Tom, it's interesting because that's the legacy problem. Right. Before when they
4: call us, it would be days. I know I've talked to people like on a Monday and a week and a half later I got them somewhere. So one, the network building, right. two, there's way more resources out there now than there used to be. So if we talked two years ago, particularly when we talked with Phil Leahy, it'd say there's no beds. Right. Phil goes, Oh yeah, there's four. Oh, yeah, there's four. Well, I need 50. Right. Now there's way more beds, and there's more of a network where Jackie and Cole can reach out to different groups. So it all depends, too. Maybe. Before, if you were still using, we couldn't get you in somewhere We could only get you in if you were not drinking Or not currently under the influence of drugs somebody would right. take you Now they have locations, while they're still under the influence We can get them help So the system has started to build with resources mm-hmm. But it really comes down to You can give me a million resources And I couldn't fill all those If I didn't have the person who could talk right. To the other person, the person facilitated. And a lot of people saying to you If I can get a bed, I go, really don't want to go. They need to have the conversation with Jackie or Cole. So call. Give us a call. They'll speak to them. They speak their language. And that makes a big difference. The guy who doesn't understand it, I can't speak their language. I can't relate. I could say, I've talked to a whole bunch of people that are there, but I don't really truly understand it. Jackie and Cole understand it so they can speak to them on their level and help them get services. And you said something important earlier from when Jackie was talking. Follow-up, 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 follow-up. Right. There can never be enough follow-up, because right. if there isn't follow-up, you eventually slip through the cracks. Right. And
3: I know we deal people with People this- feel like they get forgotten, and I know this from people that I talk to on the streets. If they feel like they've been forgotten, if they feel like they've slipped through the cracks, if someone isn't following up with them, they go right back to what they were doing.
0: Oh, we always always follow up, and we walk the rail trail. We do everything, you know, with the officers. We you know, we definitely follow up all the time. Yeah. You know, officer heavy will do that with us. We'll go and look for people all the time. We go to house of mercy. We do that. Absolutely.
3: Carrie's amazing. Uh, She's been on the show. I can't say enough things for for her. Um, tell us how you got into this. How did you get interested in helping people and doing this kind of work?
0: I'm in recovery myself.
3: You are? Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit, if, if you don't mind? No, that's fine. Because I think it's, it's important for people at home to know, I'm, I'm I'm where I am, I could be where she is.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yep. And people know that, the people I help and stuff. I have um, almost 10 years sober. Nice. You know, I'm a recovering heroin addict.
3: Heroin. Yep. And what was life like for you when you were on the heroin? Did, were you homeless? Were you... I was
0: at one point, yep. Where? In Boston.
3: In Boston. Yep. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, that's Lawrence I is tough. Boston's even tougher.
0: Yeah, I grew up there. Yeah.
3: Wow. So now, when you were home, when you were homeless, and you were addicted in Boston, what kind of services were available to to you there and then, as opposed to now? How has that changed?
0: Um, well, I had good insurance through an ex husband, so I had you know the services, but I got um, sober through a uh, Section thirty five.
3: So. Okay. And you just explain people at home what that means.
0: It was a um, a commitment, a state commitment through. My mother had me committed through the state.
3: So a family member can have someone committed if they're addicted, if they're if they're on drugs. That's something that a family member can do. They can just say no I'm to take this guy in for thirty days, whatever.
0: They can petition through the courts. Yeah. Okay,
3: and then the, what, I assume the person has rights. They get to go. the Yeah, they, for they can the judge fight against it.
0: Yep, you know.
3: I'm trying to watch for people through the process. Yeah, a little bit. what
0: happens is the person, you know, uh. uh A police officer, you know, a psychiatrist, a family member can go to the courts and say, you know, this person is a danger to themselves or someone else, you know, and, you know, give a summary and say, this is why, and they go in front of the judge. And then, you know, a court clinician, you know, meets with them and says, you know, if they are or they aren't, and the judge decides if they, you know, are. And if they are, they go, you know, to treatment for up to 30 days. And if they aren't, they are free to go, you know, and I was, so I went to
2: treatment. Officer Havy, how do you fit into all of this? Typically, they show, with the Section 35, they show a um, extreme pattern to go. So not everyone's uh, eligible for a Section 35. Um, So we do our best to try and talk to people. And what's really good about having... Uh, Jackie and Cole is a lot of times people don't want to talk to me because I'm in a uniform. They they say, you don't understand where I'm coming from. You've never been in my shoes. Well, Jackie and Cole have. Right. So it's it's just another part. Um, All the house visits um, will go with all the CARES um, uh, people. The other thing we do is uh, once a week, we go to a hub meeting, and our information throughout the years has gotten a lot better. So the chief uh, spoke about earlier if someone ODs in a different town, before we, we didn't know about it. Now we know when we're talking to someone, oh, this person OD'd out in Westford, this person OD'd and it's a huge so you get more database. of a history
6: on the
3: person.
2: We get a huge history, and it helps us. Um, pinpoint where people are. Sometimes we're trying to find people. Parents will come up to us and be like, hey, we think our our daughter or our sons live on the rail trail. We're not sure exactly where they are. And we'll go out. We'll try and find them. And um, if all else fails, then we start going down the road of uh, Section 35.
3: Now, do you guys see in Methuen what North Andover sees, whereas Most of the addicts in North Andover are not homeless. They're not living on the streets. They're living in wealthy neighborhoods like Bear Hill Road, million-dollar homes. They've got the money, they've got the resources, and they're ODing in their basement. And then you know the North End PD gets called, and they got to go out there and get a knock and there's a guy in. There's kind of a million, a million, uh, home that's worth a million five. Um, are you seeing that too? Do you are you getting more home home? Um, ODs
2: as opposed to the homeless, or is it balanced? How, how does it? It's across the board. Um, it's It affects every type of person and every different stage of life. Sometimes it's kids who are 20, 21, 18. Other times it's people who are 60, 65. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
4: And there's a lot. So when you look at we we have a spreadsheet that lists where they lived where they live and where they overdose and the number of doses of Narcan. And we track that and we do the follow-up. and So it's a mixture of very few homeless for us in Methuen. In reality, Mm -hmm. it's either younger kids living at home or adults Or for us, a lot of people that don't live in Methuen And again, that commute through They're coming from New Hampshire And three, four years ago, there was nothing up in New Hampshire To help them At least now there's resources where, if nothing else We can report out to those resources To try to help them Mm -hmm. So being that border community adds Another element to us So it's wide-ranging, but very limited Amount of homeless, but in the good weather We'll find people that live on the rail trail But that's the advantage of why they can go out there And walk the rail trail, but you were talking Earlier about police officers doing crime work, right? Right. So as I'm saying, that's what I think. This, cops,
3: cops should be doing think, crime work. Think not.
4: about how this grows. Currently, there's close to 400 doses of Narcan that we track. So there's 94 cops. Everyone has four doses. Two for the person you have to use it on. Two for yourself. So 94 times four is 372. So almost 400 doses of Narcan out there. Wow. Plus the knock that we store. Sergeant um, Sergeant Harvey. That's his dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have got a promotion. Officer <laughs> I, Havy, as part of his job now, he has these spreadsheets where he tracks the NACAN, when it was issued, when it expires. Every time NACAN's used, he has to backfill the, the, the staff, the, the load of knock-in that's locked up in the <clears throat> commanding officer's office. So there's several hours of work we just added to a police officer from being on the street that he has to track it. We have to know it. It's serial numbers. We have to know when it expires. If... 12 doses are used. He has backup doses. He has to then fill the backup so it's available. So now you have several hours of week work you're doing on spreadsheets and physically counting, going out every so often, auditing it as our Narcan's expiring, telling us your Narcan's expired, turning the doses in. There's a significant amount of paperwork and administrative duties that an officer that would normally be on the street... Isn't on the street. So you could see it's taxing in multiple ways, right. let alone we have to pay for the knock-in. So that's a hit to your budget, also. But you have to have secure lockup, you have to have tracking mechanisms. There's a lot of work that we wouldn't have done. How do, How do you pay for the
3: Narcan? Are there grants for that? Is it just paid by the city? How does it work?
4: So we pay we bought the original Narcan through the city budget. Then we got a large donation through Parry of Narcan. Now we buy the Narcan funded through the police budget. But again I have to ask for that. Right. But so you don't necessarily as you said and, and it was funny, Chief. Denaro was saying, well, I don't want 10 more cops if it means I can't buy something else. So right. for us, what happened was there's a we put in in as a line item. It doesn't get funded. So the money that goes for medical supplies that Officer Heavey's in charge of also, masks, tourniquets, uh, dressings, uh, bags for the car, AEDs, we just draw the money out of that line item. So now there's less money to do preventative stuff. You know, when something needs to get Replaced early, you just can't do it because we're using The money for Narcan, but we're always out There looking for ways to do It, and if there's any businesses that want to make a Donation to help save a life, we're more Than happy to take a donation of funds Specifically to be used for the Issuance of
3: Narcan. Now, the position that you hold, Jackie, mm-hmm. is that funded through the city? Is that through a oh, grant? So it's funded 100 percent through the city. And
4: again, so, anything- the, so I
3: don't want to cut you off. So when these Counselors who are who have no knowledge at all about about law enforcement, they're part time elected counselors because they have a popular name. When they get up there and they start grandstanding and they start talking about how the police department gets too much money, look at all the law that's in here. Everything that we've talked about seems to me like a very huge necessity. Oh,
4: absolutely. It's funny because there was somebody who ran who didn't get elected who, you know who I'm talking about, had talked about some travel and the kids travel, the kids right. line item, right. was the salary line item for Jackie and Cole. And it wasn't a travel line item. It was actually the salary for them. We initially started it with two part-timers. Um, just, it was Jackie and another individual. They were just part-time, like on call. Mm-hmm. We were able to get the city to give the, both of them full-time, which is in our budget, but now we need the mental health worker to work with them. We need another position. If people would take the time to actually pay attention and listen to what we say, and particularly when I speak at council, listen to where these funds are going, For the limited money they're getting paid, they're doing a lot of work. And we've been trying to build, again, part of the problem with the city is we put the position in part-time, we make it full-time and say, there's there's supposed to be levels where you mount, go up through each step. Well, I was unable to get them to give me the steps for care, so they're stuck where they were with very minor cost of living raises. And in fact, recently, it took us two years past the raises they would do to get the city to acknowledge they hadn't received their raises in two years, How, which were minor. For the amount of work that they do, their salary should be a lot higher than they are. And again, I, I thank them for the work that they do. And I will—I continually work towards building that department. This is something that, if they worked for the health department, it wouldn't have been a question. They would have come in. They would have been put in a position right. with ten steps. They'd get a raise every year over the. For 10 years, plus a COLA cost of living adjustment. At the end of 10 years, they'd keep their COLA's. The problem is because they're with the police, it's the negative connotation with some of our councils.
3: Well, you yeah, get some councils just hate the department. Well, it, it, the is, it is. it
4: is what it is, and and I agree with you on that, but they do an amazing amount of work. And maybe they'll watch this podcast in the prior one and probably want to realize what Well, that's what do.
3: I'm hoping. I mean, one of the things that I'm hoping for is that people who are addicted or who have family members that are addicted are going to watch this, and hopefully they'll watch all of it. Um, but my other hope is that part-time elected city councilors, board of selectmen throughout the communities, for all the four communities that we had here today, who aren't experts at public safety, who don't really understand. They think they do because they watch Law and Order, they watch things on TV, but they really don't get it. Hopefully, they're also watching, and hopefully, they're going hope to see so. that some of the micromanaging of the police department that we see in your community, and it's shameful, it's, abs- it's absolutely shameful uh, the way some of it happens. Um, what it, What would be the downside to taking these two positions, putting them under the health department, and assigning them to the police? So yeah, that, it really so that, so that, wouldn't
4: that, be one, except that the health department's not interested in taking over. So not, they At don't least want to has the way it's been in the city of Methuen right. Now, again, uh, Mayor-elect Perry's coming in, maybe he has a different Idea on that, quite frankly, the city Should have a whole bureau under the Health Department that deals with Mental health, homelessness, and Addiction, it should deal with all Of those, because they go hand in hand And even though Methuen may not have a big Homelessness issue I get calls, just like You talked about earlier, oh my god I lost my job I'm going to be out of my house. Where do I go? The only thing we could point them to currently is a rooming house. Right. So there, there needs to be that growth of those, the care in those, those elements, and someone who can do the aftercare. Because one of the things we've been trying to get is the on-call service. We've proposed that a couple times to mayors. Separate from when Jackie and Cole aren't working, they do their eight hours. We overlap them, so there's a little bit of hours. But the the extra say. 14 12 to 14 hours a day and weekends we need an on-call service where we're not taxing them when they originally came on they worked so many hours their eyes were popping out of their heads we need to be able to have a beeper system and we talked about doing it with the Great alliance mental health center or with the psychological center where we would contract with them for x amount of dollars a month we beep your person after our hours they do the Response to the hospital, the scene. Then they give the follow up to Jackie and Cole. So we're still working on that because everyone forgets. It's twenty four seven, three sixty five. They think, oh, good, you got two people, you're all set. No, I could use eight people, and Jackie probably would think we could use twelve. Because our phone's
0: right? still on, <laughs> still
3: calling. So let me ask you two guys: It's got to be very dangerous to be going to people's homes who have addiction problems. They might even have some violence problems, some mental health problems. Maybe they're schizophrenic. And I know you're taking a police officer with you, but you guys are now going into homes of people who have had these problems, they've had this history, and the, some of the substance that they use, like the fentanyl, the carfentanyl, very toxic. Um, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the safety issue of going into people's homes? Now I don't like to go into people's homes for any. I don't like to go to people's homes that I know. I don't, <laughs> never mind people I don't know, right? How do you,
2: de- how do you deal with that? What's that like? For the most part, it's been very good, very productive. And I think once they get past the the seeing me in uniform at the front door, everything gets brought way down and we just explain to them, we talk to them, hey, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get you into a bed and we have a conversation with them. And I think that dialogue between us, it really calms everything down and it gives us directions to go.
3: Well, that's so weird because I would have thought, wrongly, obviously, I would have thought that having a police officer at the scene go in with Jackie might escalate it because now they say, oh my God, it's a cop. I don't want to go to jail. I'm not going to open the door. If they open the door, I'm going to punch the guy. But you're seeing the exact opposite. It's,
2: it's all how we talk. Absolutely, and we, Everyone works together and we make sure we're all on the same page. We, we all have the same end, end result. We all have the same goal. And a lot of times we're in um, we're in contact with the mother or the father or someone who cares about them. So everyone's on the same page and we're trying to... Try and
4: and Tommy, one is the uniform, but two is the person. And they don't talk enough about that. It's the right police officer going with Jackie.
3: You have to have the right and cool. You have to have the
4: right persona. You have mm-hmm. to have the right speech. So they've spent a lot of time learning that, changing their persona as they approach, which is a credit to the individual officers that go. It's not just A patrol officer who's going Although they have their function And we would be lost without Our patrol officers, these officers Specifically change their persona Their perception, the way they speak The way they approach, make the call Ahead of time, so they do a lot of work Officer Havy and the other officers that go To the houses, so that they're welcomed So there's a lot to this There's a whole change, you talk about if you listen to them talk, you would believe it's a social service call, right. and which is truly where we are at this point. So you have to give credit to them also that although they're wearing the uniform, the speech that's coming out of their mouth and their the body language has to be welcoming. Yeah, the mannerisms. The mannerisms are huge.
3: So are there? A, you said you could use twelve more, and I would love to help you get twelve more. Mm-hmm. Um, are there grants available – if I sat down with our state rep, uh, Christina Minacucci, mm-hmm. if I sat down with our state senator, Diana DiZaglio, who I'm going to be seeing probably in about an hour, um, are there grants available? Are there grants that can be written that can help subsidize getting you more people to be able to do that? Because then that frees up officers to go out and do what cops are supposed to do, which is respond to crime.
4: Well, the problem with the grants – there are grants out there, but they're, they're driven to the communities that they believe – Financially can't afford them, so, so it's they stop looking. And and they look at the demographics of Methuen, and they look at the finances. Although everyone thinks, "Oh my God, Methuen's on fire!" Right. They know it was just the schools. Take that four million out. The city's financially responsible Uh Therefore we don't qualify What we do qualify for sometimes Is the grants for the NARCAN And for other things that assist us Kits that we can give out One of the things we want to do is we want to be able to go out Do more of the training that the civilians do And give more of the NARCAN away But when we do do apply for a grant We just don't qualify Because it's got to go to those places that can't afford it And on paper
3: Translation for those of you at home It's a white community well, I know you can't like, say it, but I'm going to say it. On paper,
4: Methuen can afford it, and Methuen can function, so it doesn't qualify. But again, the money's more needed in other communities, so we'll let them have it. Uh, we'll hope to get other grants. And for us, Parry's been a, a real good partner.
3: And we'll explain what Parry is. So
4: Parry is the Police Assisted Addiction Recovery Initiative that started with Chief Campanello in Gloucester and has now grown, in, grown into a nationwide Um,
3: It's not the Angels program, it's like a spinoff
4: The Angel program is what Created Parry to be created Parry is the overshoot now Which is uh, where I think we're on 38 of the 50 states right now Mm -hmm. I'm lucky enough to have been asked to sit on the National board and I'm on it, it allows us To interact with people from all over the country Done a lot of work with with, um, Canadian law enforcement and Truly when you talk social services If you want to talk about a social Service police officer, talk to uh canadian police because that's really from the academy up that's how they're trained so this is no different for them to to be doing stuff like this so we're, we're learning a lot but parry is what gives us the voice in dc i've been in dc multiple times for this the money is coming out of dc but it's going to the communities not only in mass but around the country that actually need it but i would love to at least get one more um Community engagement specialist, a cares worker, and I'd love to get at least one uh, mental health worker, so that we could start to grow and expand the services that we provide.
3: Jackie, what do you see when you're going to homes and you're doing these follow-ups? What do you see um, as far as like age and, and demographic breakdown? as the majority of the people that you're dealing with is it mostly young men in their twenties? Is it mostly older people? Is it mostly what 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 is it that you're seeing?
0: Um it definitely fluctuates, but um this year we've seen um about thirty five year old men employed.
3: Thirty-five and employed? Yep. Wow. And what do you think that's what do you think that's about?
0: We just don't know disposable
3: income or? Yeah,
0: it just that was our statistic this year. Oh no kidding. Yeah, that was what it was this year.
3: And do you guys release those statistics online at the end of the year? Like if I wanted to do like a story in the newspaper and I wanted to pull some of those down, are those are those readily available or would I have to put in a FOIA for that?
4: Nope, they're readily available and we keep a a um, sanitized version without names and addresses, okay. that we can get you. All
3: right, Officer Havy, you went through the police academy. You decided to become a cop. You thought you were going to be out there arresting people, and instead, you're driving around with a dog and you're visiting people at home and you're talking to them about getting them into into uh, hopefully a detox or a bed somewhere. Um, how did that transition happen? Like, was it was that was that something that you wanted to do? Was it something you just fell
2: into? So I, I wear a couple different hats. I do the cares and the outreach and I do the canine. I have a uh, explosive canine um, and I I'm a first responder instructor so I teach all the medical stuff. Okay. So that's how this started but it's it is it is police work in the sense of we're doing this hopefully other crimes will start going down. Right. Hopefully the B&Es the uh, shopliftings all this stuff's going down. Hopefully we're not doing a report on a death and we're doing a report on an overdose. So it's it's really important to be in at this step mm-hmm. because it it ripples throughout everything. And you see it ripples throughout things. When you sack in people, we don't hear a, lo- a lot about the people who are successful. We hear a lot about the people who don't make it, right? Um, but once in a while, the successful people will come back, and I had a, um, a young man I was watching him up at the hospital. Very nice kid. We're, we're at the hospital together. He's waiting to get treated. He had a really bad cut on his arm, so I'm talking to him three, four or five hours, And I ain't nowhere at the time, but he came back and he talked with the CARES girls. He ended up getting help. He came back a year, year and a half later. I didn't recognize him at all. Really? And he's like, "I got clean because we talked about it, and it was great for me to see because usually you don't see that. Um, the people who are successful, they move away, they they go away, and I don't hear from them. So, but this kid was he was stealing from his parents. He was stealing from Walmart. I arrested him a couple times prior." I've never arrested them since. That's so awesome. So hopefully it it holds up. And
3: That's great. Do you guys see an increase or a decrease in uh, dealing with with people with addictions? We asked all the chiefs when they were all up here, and they all basically said, well, the calls for services are going down, but we know that the actual numbers are going up, whereas you're actually dealing with the actual physical people. What do you guys see?
0: I see a decrease, definitely. Really? Yeah. I mean, I like Michael was saying, I, you know, it's great to see the decrease because like I got uh, Christmas Eve, a text from a person I was helping that I was seeing over and over and over again. And he sent me a text of his two year medallion. Wow. And I was seeing him over and over again.
3: Wow. Well we have to wrap up the show. I could go for like three more hours and I'd love to talk about the whole marijuana thing that uh, Al Donaro brought up in the last, uh, maybe we'll do a different show on that. Uh, any, any parting words for people before we go, any, any advice for people who have addictions or family members who have addictions? Anybody? If you need help, come yes, see us. Yes,
0: definitely come see us.
3: I think that's all of
4: our
0: Recovery messages.
4: Possible. Don't be embarrassed. Call us. We'll come and help.
3: Excellent. Chief uh, Joe Solomon, I appreciate you coming. I appreciate, Jackie, you coming. Uh, Officer Havy, I also appreciate your service and that you were here today. Hopefully, next year at this time, we can have you guys come back, and hopefully we have better news for people as far as uh, where this is where this is going. And um,
4: menorah Lighting tonight. Menorah the lighting. PD, 630 PM. Oh, it's
3: 630. I'm going to try to get to that. I'm actually going to bolt out of here and try to get to the one in North Andover. I want to thank Chief Ryder from Boxford, Chief DeNaro from Haverhill and Chief Charles Gray from North Andover. This is the Paying Attention Podcast here on, uh, here at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, high Top Two Guys Smoke Shop. I want to thank our sponsors uh, the McClellan Real Estate, AFC Urgent Care, Marcoux Towing, Marse and Ann Sun Construction. You had to call them if you need any kind of construction. They're good guys. The Methuen Police Superior Officers Union and Climate Design Systems. Melvin Taylor says, We got to go home, Ed. Thank you for All your right, service.
6: We're going home. Going home. The
0: views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network,
3: its partners or affiliates.